having a party people and welcome to another edition of talking during movies we have a returning champion coming in the filmmaker himself the man who puts pen to paper and then puts those words to pictures ladies and gentlemen they often copied never duplicated the king behind the camera himself dallas burtis how are you sir i am outstanding how are you good sir i'm great man you know just uh, cruising along enjoying life and uh having fun and you know we uh, we miss you here in austin you have you've moved you're i have taken your show on the road because you're making another movie where are you guys at these days we moved to savannah georgia nice oh it is we moved uh, we're right on the coast um a lot of people actually don't know about savannah which is kind of good um for us anyway and mm -hmm. uh we you know, we moved for several reasons, but, uh, you know, obviously being filmmakers is, is chief among them. Um, Georgia has amazing uh, tax incentives, amazing, uh, you know, uh, reasons to film here. Uh, but we wanted to kind of also not be stuck in the Atlanta crowd because Atlanta's become kind of a modern day Hollywood uh, in the big, the big studio system. So we you know, found Savannah, which is a good distance away from Atlanta, and it's not as well known. Uh, so we found a place where we can pretty much build an infrastructure um, and, and build what we want to build. Nice. Very nice. Now, the movie today, you picked this. We're doing Aliens. What is it about Aliens that you like? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the tie there? Okay, so selfishly, um, you know, we are doing our next film that we are doing here in Savannah is a science fiction mystery thriller. And when my co-writer Ian and I wrote it uh, originally, we actually, it was ironically um, a uh, competition short script in set in the alien universe. Uh, Ian had uh, you know, called me and said, hey, uh, I've got found this competition. Uh, it's for uh, just an alien short script thing. Let's just see if we can do it. I'm like, all right, cool. So we did our thing, co-wrote it, knocked it out, and uh, submitted it. I uh, didn't get anywhere, which, you know, whatever, it's fine. Uh, apparently got a lot of attention, though, the way we wrote it. But uh, afterwards, we were like, man, we actually kind of got something here. Maybe we just uh, take away all of the alien stuff and just kind of create our own story. And uh, when, uh, while I was finishing up Hyde, uh, the, my debut feature that just got distribution, um, we, uh, he started kind of writing a majority of uh, the first, like, I think 60 some odd pages. Um, and then uh, by the time Hyde was finished, I stepped in and uh, did my part, pumped it up and 
did a lot of the action stuff. And uh, that was back in 2018. And we spent a good portion of, uh, you know, the, the past couple of years since then, uh, getting high out there, doing some other things. And then uh, Gianna, my uh, significantly better half and producer <laughs> and producer of the film, uh, you know, we kind of dove back into the script because we knew that it was going to be the next one. And uh, so we were like, all right, so what, what can we do to elevate it? Um, so we went in and we, we, we gave it a lot more um, of the gravitas that it needed uh, to be more commercial, uh, but also have enough depth that it wasn't just a shallow action thriller, horror film, you know? Um, and we ended up kind of taking a lot of cues uh, from Alien, Aliens, The Thing, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, Memento, if you, you know, could imagine that. Um, we, uh, so we take a lot, we borrow a lot from the classic science fiction thrillers um, while also kind of taking a kind of a Christopher Nolan approach with some nonlinear storytelling that plays against linear storytelling simultaneously. Um, so it, it, it's very unique, very different, and we kind of wanted to create something that would, you know, uh, push the, uh, the genre, you know, okay. in, in a new direction. Also, it's, it's not another sequel. So. Nice. I like it. Well, let's, uh, let's hit play and let's keep chatting. So let's do it. All right. Boom, bada, bing. We got it on mute. Sorry about all the pop-ups. You know how these links go. They get very excited. Oh, yeah. Yes, they do. Ooh, what can we do? 20th Century Fox action. Boom. Here we go. So, hey, I want to, so I want to talk, I was thinking about you the other day. So I had this idea mm -hmm. and, and, I'm, and this is going somewhere. Okay. So I had this idea. I was like, man, I think it'd be really cool. So I had this night where I got a little too high. And I, I like to, I call it the Robert Downey Jr. Mo movement moments nice. where like, am I getting in the right bed? Because am I in the right house? <laughs> where am I? Where am I? And then the paranoia kicks in. And then I thought, oh man, imagine if this was this bipolar, probably not the right term, horror film where what happens is you see one aspect of it and it's this family guy, right? He's got mm -hmm. a wife, he's got a kid, he's got a dog, he's got a nice house in the suburbs. Just hanging out, he's the guy, super cool guy. And then at night he goes to bed, but as he's going to bed, this serial killer heroin addicted drug addict is waking up. And so you as the audience has to decide what is reality. Does this guy have bad nightmares? Or does the heroin addict have good thoughts Interesting. like is the hair without it getting high and then dreaming about like is he coming into a house killing everyone and then living in that house with those dead bodies trying to create a family or wow. is that his or is that that person's dream because they haven't accomplished what's inside of them yet interesting so uh, i bring all of that up because uh, that's a dumb that's a, just an interesting idea right but mm -hmm. it goes to how, you know, because everyone's got an idea for a movie. There's probably a billion ideas out there, but there's a reason remakes happen. There's a reason other things happen because ideation to interpretation, to put the words to paper and then make those words come alive. Walk people through what that's like, because it's easy for me to say this, right? And it's, it's and you have the brain that goes, okay, I can see where this has a, a, a win and where this has a loss and where you're gonna, have to, you know, you instantly can map things out. But for the person who's sitting at home who's like, I could write a movie. 
Okay. Let's talk about how hard it is to write a movie. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a great question because a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I do have people say that, uh, Hey, got a great idea for a movie. And that's, you know what? There are probably a fuck ton of people that do actually have great ideas for a movie. You know what I mean? Let's just be yeah. honest. Cause at, at, at our core, we are inherently creative as a, as a species. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it's, the, the challenge, right? First, okay, got an idea for me. Great. That's the first step. That's the first step to any creation of, of, of any creative work of art. Um, now, well, what is the next step? Okay, well, now I've got, I've got to write this thing down. Okay, what's my idea? Here's my idea. Now I'm looking at this idea and I'm like, oh shit, I got to create two hours worth of content with this one little idea to get the beginning of this idea to the end of this idea and everything in the middle. Um, then you start to realize, okay, this is actually not easy. This is actually a challenge because uh, it's funny, uh, Gian and I, as we were going through a lot of the revision process with the Demeter, which is the name of the next project, um, you know, because there's this nonlinear versus on top of a linear storyline working together, we would have an idea or she'd have an idea. She'd be like, oh, this is this. And I would get to a point where I'm like, mother fucker, if we do that, it's going to change this, it's going to change that. And then everything's all <laughs> fucked up. So, you know, <laughs> because it does, there, there's always a cause and effect. But, you know, obviously what we did, it improved everything. But you have to have the mind to be able to kind of understand the decisions you make as a creator, mm-hmm. you know, uh, affect your characters to the point where, you know, the, what affects them here needs to, needs, needs to have a payoff at some point, right? Sure. Whether that's good or bad, there needs to be a payoff. There needs to be a, a, a lesson, you know, good or bad, that the character learns or goes through. And it, it, it's, there are so many different ways you can do this. You're going to hear a million different people, uh, you know, screenwriting experts tell you this is the way. It's this, 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 this. I don't agree with any of that. I think that every writer has their own way of doing it that works for them. You know, the, 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 the act one, two, and three doesn't work for me. Um, what works for me is actually a Ron Howard and Steven Spielberg approach, which is uh, sequencing. So essentially what you're doing is it's, it's like writing a book where you have multiple chapters and you break that down. On average, it just depends on the story, but about 10 to 12 different sequences. Okay. And then each sequence needs to have a beginning, middle, and an end. And then there's a transition that takes you into the next sequence, but it needs to be a motivated transition. So you take your idea, you know, if, if you're asking me and everyone's different, but you take your idea and you're like, all right, I have an idea. Now I'm going to put this idea up here. Now I'm going to come back down here and start laying out all these different sequences. I have a great idea for an action scene. Okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to write it down. It's a sequence. I don't know where it fits, but it's cool. And it fits the, the overall idea. So here's the sequence. All right, cool. And I've got 10 sequences. Now, what is the beginning, middle, and end of each sequence? How do they transition and tie together? And then you have at least a framework of, of a feature script that you can play with. But you're far from finished because now you have to look at all your characters, you know, and do they make sense? You know, what, what, what did each character's arc, you know, um, and how do they start? How do they finish? What happens in the middle that causes them to get to this point? Um, 
this is, we're still just talking about the writing phase. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, we say all these things, this is just writing. Now, if, me as a director, you know, and I've stopped doing this. Uh, I did it on the indie side, but now I've kind of stopped doing it uh, with these bigger pictures now because, you know, I, you got to write the story first. And then you can kind of scale things down if you're on a budget or whatever, you know, because because I, I have a, a thing where I start thinking logistically, I, I have a hard time leaving my producer hat off and just getting lost. Because then I start thinking, all right, well, how can we make sure we can do this and afford it? Um, but uh, right to story, right to all of that. Once you have your basic framework done, right, and you have you feel pretty confident, you feel pretty good, like, ah, oh, this is going to ready. It's not ready. It's far from fucking ready. Once you feel like it's ready, you need to sit on that shit for a minute and you just need to let it let it fester because you're going to visit it again in two months and you're like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, how often do you relook at something? Because I think that's really crucial mm -hmm. when you're thinking about writing. Like I write press releases, I'll write content for websites, I'll write content for people, I'll write speeches for people or a press release. And I'll write the whole thing out in 10 minutes. Right. I got I to go and I'm like, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them, right? That's my philosophy on it. People right. have different philosophies. That's mine. Little paragraph. Hey, this we're going to talk about. Ooh, here's the meat with a, with a, with a big, um, you know, uh, quote in there and an idea. And then boom, hey, we did all this. Oh, and by the way, this is going to come next probably, right? right. Here we go. Right. I'm out. But yep. I write it first real quick. Quotes, you know, I just think about what it could be in my head. Boom, boom, boom. Got it done. And then... I go back and read it an hour later and I'm like, what the fuck did I write? <laughs> right. Like, yes. am I a third grader? There's, <laughs> right. there's just sentences that aren't finished that in my head, they were finished. There's concepts and ideas and thought processes that, that aren't fully mature. Mm -hmm. And then I think about the business and the true north of the business and where it's supposed to go and what they want to really project. And then what's the goal? Is right. the goal to tell people about the news or is the goal <clears throat> to make people aware of what we're doing? which are two mm -hmm. different things. We're like, you're just telling them. I'm like, no, 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 they're two different things. There, there's a motivation. Yeah. What's the motivation and the intent? And that, exactly. That's, and, but, but that answers your question. It's intent. You know, it's, it's like, well, what is your intent with the story? What is your intent? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, are you trying to tell a drama? Okay, well, you have to have certain emotional responses layered in. Are you, in our case, it's a science fiction mystery thriller, not a horror science fiction mystery thriller. Okay, well, what's mysterious about it? What is the mystery? Okay, what parts of it are thrilling? You know, obviously it's sci-fi. That's just the setting. You can't, that's easy enough. But it, it, it's the, the beginning to end and, and the mystery thriller part that keeps people engaged and throughout, right? So that, that's the intent of it is to keep people, you know, constantly wondering what's going to happen next. There's no dull moment. There's no dead moment. It's like, it's constant suspense that you cannot get away from, from beginning to end. That's our intent. So now we have to make sure that this is actually representing in the story. Um, so I, th I think what might be helpful to any writers might, that might be listening uh, would be, you know, you have an idea. Okay, cool. Uh, you might have some other, you know, uh, points within that. So let's say that you want to put them into sequences, but what's the intent? Mm -hmm. You know, what is your intent? That is, I think, a chief and key thing that uh, I think storytelling, especially in the film world, is lacking. Uh, because generally the intent is well, make money. Like, yeah, that's uh, you're making something forgettable if that's your intent. Um, which is another reason you know, we're watching Aliens. It's, it's we're, we're still watching this movie. It was made in 1986. 
you know, it's and got Paul Reiser in a suit <laughs> and, 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 and with a collar that is the <laughs> thing of all time. He's popping a collar in a suit <laughs> with right. a long, narrow tie in a yeah. spaceship with his curly hair. With his curly hair, he's <laughs> such a pretentious asshole. He's a prick. He is. He's a really funny prick, though. He's a funny prick. You know, you know what? He's the original Jason Bateman who didn't go as far mm-hmm. because they weren't. Because you know what? Jeremy Piven stole Paul Reiser's prick roles. Because Jeremy Piven's a better prick. He's a better prick. <laughs> and he really of course, is. He's, he's prick in real life. He's, <laughs> is he really? Yeah. From what I've heard, I don't know. I, I I'm I'll tell you what. I've life. only engaged with him a couple of times. I met him once. Super nice. Shook my hand. Said hello. And then, oddly enough. I had posted something on Instagram without tagging him and he responded to it because it was on his car sales movie. Uh, it was, it was a movie. I forget. It was some movie where he's like the King car salesman. He flies all over the country just to do blowout car deals. Like he's, <laughs> dude, it's the most so, he, so I guess, I guess it's one of those things where like no news or bad news, good news. doesn't matter. It's news period. So. It's news period. I guess. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> But I put something on. I was like, "That I'm doing this X, Y, and Z. I love this movie." And he mm-hmm. responded, and he's like, "Yeah, I like that movie too." Because I'm in it. It's awesome. That gets it. I mean, I, I'm not gonna judge the guy because I don't know him personally. He's yeah. probably a really nice guy. I mean, you, you hear all that kind of stuff all the time. Of oh, this person's this way. I'm like, eh, well, I mean, have you ever worked with them? Do you really know? Yeah, I mean, listen. Everyone um, says I'm a prick, and they're right. I'm saying here. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so it depends on who you are. You could be right or you could be wrong. It is why we get along. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, uh, in writing with intent, right. And, and so the, the, the versions that, you know, it, it just depends on the story, you know, the Demeter were technically, I guess on the sixth version, what we have now, is, it works wonderful. Mm-hmm. Two days ago, Gian and I are talking and she has this, she's, she was, you know, in, in kind of a meditative, you know, frame of mind and she has had this thought or it was a dream actually, uh, about one of the characters. And she starts sharing her dreams. She's like, you're probably going to hate this, but, and, uh, you know, she said it, I'm like, actually, I don't hate it. I need to chew on it for a minute. And then in the, in, in the, in the process of about 10, 15 minutes, we completely rewrote the ending in a way that actually makes the ending fucking awesome. So it, it, now that would be version seven, right? So, I mean, it's, uh, but it, it's always, once you get to a point where you have the, the bulk of it done, you know, you're, you're, you're going to make tweaks here and there. Because here's the thing. They say, they always call it a locked script. There's no such thing as a locked script. You know, you, you get to a point where you're like, okay, there's no major changes happening anymore. But when we get on set, depending on who's cast, they might have a different way of delivering a line that, that's better than what you have. Or they might have an idea for the character. And you're like, okay, go with it. Explore it, you know. Um, and you're rewriting on set. This, this thing is not working. So and you're I'm going to pause you on that. I want to pause you on that because... That's interesting, right there. the The idea of of of, a, of bringing someone in, like I'm assuming, in some capacity, you're writing for an idea of who you would like to be in the movie. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're, just, maybe you're just writing about this is an ideal character, and then who would play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just you know what I do. You know, I okay. I, just, I, write, I write the character, and then I'm like, okay. you know, who who fits this character? And then we then we have conversations about who we feel fits that character profile and, you know, um, cause the, the character kind of leads the way. And then, then you, then you think about who is the right fit. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's what we do you know, with, with this pr- particular project. We zeroed in on two A-list actors that we are going to go ar- go after hard. Um, and because they're perfect for it. And there's this interesting 
potential for some interesting uh, character and actor dynamic for that matter. Um, and uh, it, it's fascinating because, you know, when we're looking at the characters, they're, when you look at the body of work that these two people were talking about, uh, they fit, but it's not because we're typecasting. They fit because they have the range and okay. they have the ability to probably take the character that we've created into a direction that we couldn't anticipate. So that's a part of the excitement of it. Oh, okay. So, I mean, and, and that's, and that's kind of, that's interesting, right? The typecasting is, that guy's the sheriff. He's always the sheriff. He's right. the sheriff in every movie. And the range is the actor, like let's take a Charlize Theron, who they couldn't find someone ugly enough to and talented enough to play Eileen Wardos. So they took <laughs> one of the most beautiful women in the world and turned and her ugly. into a fat, <laughs> ugly, murdering hooker. And you're just like, I mean, the lady's got range. Range. Well, you, you, want, you want to talk about range? Gary Oldman's got range. Gary Oldman played a little person in a movie called Tiptoes, where he walked around on his knees and created all his own set designs. It was with Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsdale and some other people. If you bring it up in an interview with Gary Oldman, he will flip you off and walk off the set. Noted. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so when you hire Gary Oldman for your next film, don't bring up Tiptoes. He obviously at the end, show the movie to everyone. But well, he's doing it. <laughs> Have you not seen Tiptoes? No, I've never even heard of it until now. I'm so gonna do some it homework. is like this. So one, it was supposed to be a comedy and they rewrote it. They did not have a locked script. Folks, you know how I work. This is gonna, we're gonna get back to Dallas and figuring out how to write a movie. <laughs> gotta tell a story. I've gotta talk to. Um, and, uh, and, and they turned it into this dramatic love story about Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale and Matthew McConaughey won't tell her that he's from a family of little people and he's the only normal sized person. And she wants to get married and he has commitment issues because he doesn't want to have a little person baby. And then Kate finally meets the family and she's like, holy shit, I'm surrounded by midgets. And he's like, hey, they don't like that term. <laughs> oh and then she meets Gary Oldman. And at the very end, spoiler alert, she's pregnant, has a little person baby, leaves Matthew McConaughey and gets busy and falls in love with Gary Oldman. Interesting. That's how you know it's not a real movie. Not gonna because Matthew McConaughey is not losing Kate Beckinsale to Gary Oldman. I'm sorry. <laughs> Reality can only suspend for so long. <laughs> but I guess right. it was like a really painful thing for him because he glued shoes to these knee pads on his knees and he walked around on his knees. Uh, that'd be painful. I can't, my, my, my paratrooper knees would not be able to do that. Yeah. Ever. Oh no. And so, so hold on. So we're back to the writing part and I have to ask this question. Mm -hmm. How do you, is, is your military training or is there something else inside of you where you don't hit that analysis paralysis? where you're not just stuck reviewing and redoing, reviewing and redoing just because you're paralyzed and afraid to move forward. What's, no. what, what breaks you from that? Uh, what, see, it's progress, it breaks me from that. Because the thing is like, uh, for example, when you look at um, you know, uh, the military in general, let's say I kind of come from the, the infantry world and um, you, know, you, you have a plan and then 
mission starts, the plan goes to shit, you know, once the first round is fired, and you're the three, the three are our, 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 our motto, improvise, adapt, and overcome. You're just mm-hmm. figuring things out, right? So, but you're, you're, you know, you still can accomplish the end, the end goal of that mission. It's just not going to be the way that you expect it. And, you know, there, there's a lot of that parallel being a producer. The benefit to all that is that as a writer, I have at least enough intuition to know, okay, this is close to ready. This is kind of where we're at. And certain things are just not going to change. Um, you know, Gian and I will have conversations and start to push things in certain directions. And then we'll be like, okay, now these things need to kind of change probably here and there. But, you know, we, we start to really, it, it's, it's, it's like you have a, a muddy window and your first pass, okay, well, I can see there's a window here now. And then you keep kind of wiping at it and like, oh, I can actually kind of see through this window. And now at the very end of it, you're just kind of, like, you know, get the scraper out and get all the specs off. You know, and, and you mm-hmm. just you just kind of know, and you, the analysis paralysis thing. You just, there's no time for that. You know, and if I were just a writer, I'm sure, there's a chance that you know they're, they're, I'd fall victim to that. And I know some that are like that, actually, and their stuff never gets. It's never done. Yeah, um, but they're talented. That's the crazy and, thing. Yes, they are. Yes, they are, and that, that that's a sad thing because you know you're we're missing an opportunity to hear some very intriguing stories right mm-hmm. or see some intriguing stories so yeah i mean it, it, it's it's knowing when to move forward you know when the story's to a certain point but also being you know understanding that certain things are going to change little things here are going to change there's going to be 99 percent of filmmaking is problem solving so we're going to get on set and you know, there's going to be all these issues and obstacles but that's why we do what we do you know and it, 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 that's where the creative thinking comes in that's actually where you get most of the happy accidents Oh, interesting. Okay. One of those happened accidents. The happy accidents. In fact, uh, our, our biggest happy accident on Hyde um, was the ending. We had lost a location in week two, you know, two, two hours from being able to go picture up. And so we had to cancel that whole day. Um, and I had to make up for that day at a different location in the third week, which meant that I had to consolidate some other stuff into one particular thing. And we ended up having, I think, 30 or so points of coverage for the last five minutes of the film. And we were shooting at a location that we were going to be at for a day and a half. Now we only had a day. So we had to problem solve. And our solution was to just create a one shot. So we stay with the character for three three minutes and five seconds on a one shot and created this, this kind of a... a interesting situation where it actually became more suspenseful and you're actually with the character the whole time during a key moment in her arc and it ended up making it so much better uh it's that that was that's an example of a happy accident it's like you know out of necessity came this amazing creative moment wow how do you you know as you go through these processes and you've done one you've done more than one but you you know as you do one you go into the next you, know, you hear comics or you look at musicians or even actors who are young, right? And you mm-hmm. see the progress of them. How has your progress been in your film journey? Like when you look back on the first one you made, I'm sure there's a sense of pride because it's accomplished, but is there also with your brain the way it is now and your maturation where you're like, oh, I would change X, Y, and Z? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, because, and I think every, uh, producer director who does that I mean, you know the it, only one who's gone in the reverse direction is m night Shyamalan. 
<laughs> I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> I said it. Because <laughs> you can't. I'm right here. I said it. <laughs> so, yeah, you, I do all the time. But I also have, you know, the, the hindsight of knowing, yeah, but it was what it was. You know, I mean, and, and, and you know, there, there is perspective and there is, you know, that being like, it was a product of the environment that we were in. It was a product of the situation that we were in. And you can, you know that. So it's not really, uh, it's not really, it didn't really bog me down. What I do is I take lessons, right? I'm like, okay, cool. So this happened. How do I, how do I keep that from happening on the next project? Or I uncovered this thing that I really enjoyed, like the one shot. And the first 10 minutes of this next project is one goddamn one shot because I now have realized that I love long takes and I love one shots. Um, and, uh, so that, that's, that's, so my visual style actually kind of started coming from learning lessons and figuring things out, um, as, as things progress and, you know, uh, I also love the, uh, the intimacy of being with a character in the right moments, you know, there's a time to, to go wide, but there's also, you know, when you, when you're understanding when it's time to be with the character, you know, and the best sure. ways to do that, you know, yeah, I mean, you've got, I mean, obviously with Aliens is a prime example of those moments with a character, right? Where they, there's these really, a lot of frozen shots. Scotty Weaver just really drawing her in. You know, I, I did um, Alien with Whitney Chitwood, a stand-up comic, and it was interesting she chose the movie and then we were talking about it and I didn't realize a couple of things. Like, um, it was interesting, like Whitney's take on some things uh, when... Um, <coughs> She, uh, when Sigourney Weaver was, you know, being attacked by the robot, the robot could have killed her, right? But he was shoving the magazine in her mouth. It's like, right. it was like, uh, uh, it was it was almost like a rape. And then right. she fought through it, right? And it was the empowerment of women. And, and right. you know, and she really took this, this run at look at how much, like, look at the power of this movie at the time. Right. And then you look at Aliens and you're still like, look at the power of this movie at the yeah. time. And, I, and I, I bring this all up to ask you is like, hey, how do we... One, I can't imagine how fucking hard it is to make a movie that whether it's 1978 or 1986, you can still sit down and watch it and enjoy it and embrace it and get scared and get engaged, no matter how special or unspecial the special effects are of the moment, mm -hmm. right? You right, right. still have that. And it just lives for forever. And then you know, you look at so many other movies that don't, and I understand there's the make money and there's the, I'm right. new with this. Right. But what is that, I mean, you know, and it's, I know there's not a secret sauce to it, but when you're looking at a movie and you're like, and you watch it and like, oh shit, this is going to be around forever. What are the moments that you catch that all of a sudden, you know, you're like, I could watch this movie in 40 years and it's still going to be great. Character. Yeah, it's, it's character. See, it's not necessarily the actor; it's the character. You know, because we're not. Sometimes you watch a movie. Okay, let's take Indiana Jones because we did Raiders of the Lost Ark for yeah, love our, our, our favorite time. movies. Correct, mine too. Harrison Ford was obviously you know he was the big deal because you know of Star Wars and everything, and he was you know kind of the big ticket item. But when you look back on it, you forget that you're watching Harrison Ford, and you you're watching Indiana Jones that character became an iconic character because he's imperfect because he's just kind of stumbling through shit. You know, he, he you know, he accomplished some crazy shit, but you're, he's still stumbling through most of it. Right. And that's kind of what they set out to do in creating it was he's imperfect, 
but he's going to find a way. You know, so there is there, there's kind of an interesting thing of hope there. Same thing with Alien, for example, like with with Sigourney Weaver's character in both Alien and Aliens. You know, it is it is yes, it's survival, but you know there is this strength behind it that everyone can relate to um, in their own way, right? If, so that's what you got to do. You have got to find a way to create characters that you know can relate to everybody on some level create human moments, create human, you know, feelings, human thing. You know, if, if anybody can relate to it, then you're on the right track. But here's the thing. Don't force things. Don't force things down people's throat because they don't want to be preached to. They don't want to be told this, 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 this. They need to come to something on their own because everybody's experience is different. Mm-hmm. You know, your experience is different than mine. It's different than this person and that person. And, you know, but guess what? We can all relate to Sigourney Weaver in some way, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a woman watching the scene you just talked about, I feel like, you know, she came through it, she, she busted through it, she, she was strong for it, and now she's stronger for it, and that, which is why she's able to survive in aliens. And I can take that and be like, and, and see it in a totally different way, but still feel empowered in my own way, right? But I can relate to something. I can relate to the Marines in a lot of ways, you know, that are in aliens. I can relate to their their demeanor, what they're trying to do, you know, and, 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 and the hardships they face, you know, they start losing people, um, and and trying to square away a butter bar lieutenant who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, <laughs> can relate to that, um, but uh, that is the key, right? So, and that's one thing that we've kind of done uh, a lot over the past couple of years. We really started trying to find what makes a film iconic, what makes a film stand the test of time. What makes a film last forever? And at the end of the day, it is the characters and their arcs. It is the characters and their journeys. It is, and it's, it's being able to relate to them in some way. Hello, good night. <laughs> yeah, we're running solo here. Good night, good night. Dallas, he was at <laughs> with, his, with his puppy. You played with his puppy. No, I don't know. That's uh, okay. Well. <laughs> hey, we're chatting it up, all right? Get to bed. Love you. Can you make the banjo pet? Yep, good. So yeah, so I'm sorry, you're talking about character development. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No. It, it, it's character, right? And, and, and it's the characters that we fall in love with, not the events. Because you can take Indiana Jones, you can take Alien, you can take any of those characters. We fall in love with the characters. It almost doesn't matter what the story is around it. The story is just a device. You know, the 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 the, the, the background is just a device. It's a vehicle. The characters who we care about. And if you don't care about the characters, if you don't care about what they're going through and what their journey is, then you're probably not going to watch that film again 20, 30 years later. And that's what you have to do. You got, you, the characters cannot be shallow. The characters have to matter. The characters have to relate. You have to be able to relate to them at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's our philosophy. I'm not going to say this is how everybody is or thinks or should be, but it's our philosophy that in film – you have to create an element of escapism. So you can just go on this journey with a character that you can relate to and feel this, this, these feels, you know, go, go through all the, the range of emotions that this character is experiencing and forget about what's going on around you. Forget about what's going on in your life. Forget about all this stuff and just, and just enjoy the ride. Um, and then you're, but then you have this introspective thing about like, wow, 
I was really, you know, even, even if it's subconscious, you know, like you, you, you relate on certain levels. So all that long-winded <laughs> explanation to say that it is about character. Characters make something iconic. And then, then that's got to be first and foremost, you know, what your story is about. How do you, how do you deal with the amount of characters? Like once again, I think Aliens does a really good job because you have a host of people coming through here. But at the <laughs> same time, for some reason, it doesn't dilute the characters or the character. See the look? Yep. Nice <laughs> I got the look. Knows, yeah. knows I'm on a podcast. Knows mom's not home. Yep. Supposed to be in bed at 7 15, 7 30. Keeps bit? pushing it, keeps pushing it. Yep. Oh my God, rascal. No, but I mean how so how do you how do you leverage that up? Because you have some, you know, even though they're they're newer in this, you know, you, you've got a, a quality of people here. Right. So right. that that but that goes back to character, right? So when you, when you start crafting a story, right, you identify who your antagonist and your protagonist and who your keys are, right, and then you start building your your supporting cast around that. Now we we we're in the middle of that with the Demeter. You know, we have two main characters, but there is a host around them that uh, that is supporting. But those supporting characters, it all has to be believable. It has to make sense. It can't just be because you want to do this and do this. When what we're watching right now in Aliens, you know, with the, the whole knife scene at the, at, the, at the dinner table, at the breakfast table, you know, it, we're we're learning about the culture of of this unit because we're about to go into battle with them, right? You know, we're about to go into a really precarious situation, so we get to, we need to know the intricacies of these character dynamics of the unit. But then you have this whole separate dynamic of Sigourney Weaver, you know, just being very distant because she's traumatized from previous experience. Nobody else there understands. And then you have the added dynamic of there being an android, which was, a, it, it, that is one of the biggest triggers for her is having an android right next to her, you know. And then you have the Whalen Corporation with Paul Reiser's character. This like, you know, they, they kind of fucked everything up to begin with and she doesn't trust it. So there's all these complexities, but they're represented in such subtle, progressive ways that it's not too much to digest. And, it, that, and using supporting characters to help kind of guide those complexities is what you, is, is, is the best way to kind of represent them without overwhelming an audience. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and uh, Lance Hendrickson, he's, he's, fat, he's one of my favorite actors. He really is. I think he is, as far as a character actor goes, from his time in Aliens to Millennium and other great works, that dry raspiness right. that he has, he has a natural darkness to him, it seems like, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Which fits great, great for this film. You know, it's just, it's just interesting. You've got like 20 soldiers here. Right. You know, outside of the diehard <laughs> Aliens fan, no one knows all their names. You, you remember the gal who's strong and does the pull-ups. Right. You remember the asshole? You got the heavy weapons, yep. Yep. You remember the the asshole? He's 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 kind of a ginger, but he's not. He's got the pale mm -hmm. skin and freckles, right? You just know he's mm -hmm. the prick of the group. You've and everyone in between, but it's amazing to have that much volume and still not dilute. Because Correct. guess what? If you do the word count, they're talking more than Sigourney's. Right. They are. But she's they the lead, and she still has the most developed presence on the screen yet she is 
not necessarily seen as much and is definitely not heard as much as everybody else chatting it up. I think it's, I think right. it's fascinating. Well, let's dissect this for a second. Well, yeah, exactly. Let's dissect it for a second, right? Let's pretend that you never saw Alien and are seeing Aliens for the first time. So if, if you remove what we already know that's happened to, to Ripley mm -hmm. and you're watching this film and you're like, you're being introduced to the world for the first time, now you're, you're, you're actually more intrigued because she's not saying much, because she's alluding to this horrible event that she's experienced. That, so now your lens is the soldiers. That, that they become your lens as, as an audience member. You know, you're not with Ripley, you're with the soldiers because you're like, that was a big deal. You know, uh, but if you're with Ripley because you've seen Alien, then you know what the big deal is. And now you're with Ripley the whole time. You're like, oh, you guys have no fucking clue what you're about to get into. So there's, there's <laughs> interesting perspectives that, that, that you can flip. Now, if you can take a step back and, and, and kind of dissect it in that way, I think you have a fascinating way of creating these archetypes um, and these dynamics that, you know, okay, let's pretend we've never seen Alien. We're from this perspective. We've seen Alien, now we're at this perspective. And, but both work. You know, you could still watch Aliens for the first time, not having any idea and be like, the hell's going on? This is crazy shit, you know? I remember growing up, you know, young, 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 and, being, and, and thinking that Aliens was the first film because I was born in 1980. You know, I didn't see them until I was until the 90s when I was old enough to actually watch, you know, these scary movies, right? <laughs> and um, so I always thought Aliens was the first one. So it was kind of my perspective, my point of view in a way. I didn't know Alien existed. And then, I, you know, the older I got, I'm back and I watched it, I'm like, holy shit. Everything makes so much more sense now. You know, um, so it was a very interesting experience, but it still works. Mm -hmm. it's, not like I, it's not like you missed anything. But that only is accomplished with the way the characters interplay. Yeah, I mean, the, the development James Cameron did for these two films mm -hmm. is, is surreal. And... I was wondering as you're as you're talking about this, right? Because it is, it, it's interesting. Uh, I just watched uh, Without Remorse, the Tom Clancy film. Turn Tom Clancy book turned into My, Michael B. Johnson. Yep, and it was okay. Very loud, lots of shooting. Uh, not as good as as Clancy, but here's the interesting part. Where I bring it up because, and I wonder if this is perhaps not knowing the future of movies and entertainment. Then you have Jack Carr book the terminalist that amazon bought as well but they're turning that into like an eight-part series instead right. of a single two-hour film is that going to be the evolution of i mean if we really want if you're if writers book writers are getting better and better i mean right. jack carr's four books are dynamite out of sight i mean i just finished all four of them in a month in a month i burned through four of, i mean you know it's but it's just, it's so engaging. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to make this into a movie, but it's going to be a series. It's going to be an hour and a half, eight episodes or seven, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking genius because now I'm not missing things. Now right. I'm not letting the director decide where they're going to cut things out and add things in and all the other bullshit, right? Now I've got this. And I, I wonder, it's hard to do in theaters, right? It was tried with the X-Files. It's been tried with some other films where you try to keep a story going along, Mission Impossible, but you've got these two, three, four year breaks in between. Whereas this mini series style of Amazon and Netflix does seems to uh, bridge that gap. And I, I bring that up to ask you, if you had an opportunity to take a, a book and turn it into a movie, would you do it in two hours or would you like the freedom to have that 
12 hours of playtime. So, which goes back to our conversation about how to tell a story and how to craft this whole thing, right? Because yeah. this depends on a couple of factors. What you're talking about is previous exist, previously existing IP. What is IP for the listener? Intellectual property, right? Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of studios like Amazon, which they've done, Obviously, I know what IP was, people. He's telling it to you. (laughs) Uh, Do you, do you, or... (laughs) So, you know, they're looking at previous IP. What's been successful? What has this many book sales, this many comic book sales? Because a lot of comic books are also becoming series, uh, especially on Netflix. Um, You know, what is a previous IP that is doing hot, you know, that we can can exploit? Uh, Because at the end of the day, being a filmmaker is exploitation. That's just the way that it is. Exploitation has a bad, you know, uh, rap on definition or, or as a word, but it is what it is. And that yeah. is the de-definition of exploitation. So just so everyone's understanding when I use the word, it's not a negative connotation. So they are looking at a way to exploit an existing, pre-existing IP. Now, it's like to your point, they've done it through film. They've tried it through film. It's been more successful as series because in books, it goes so deep into uh, backstories or character development or the story because you can do whatever you want in a book, right? You're not really, you're not hindered by anything except your imagination. Sure. Um, and so series makes sense. Now, if somebody like an Amazon or Netflix approached me and said, hey, we have this, you know, uh, book or comic book series that we would like you to kind of, you know, helm or, or, or direct a couple episodes or whatever, you know, obviously I'm gonna look at the material and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I love it because I need to love what I'm doing. I can't, I'm not going to arbitrarily just choose something for the sake of doing it. Because then that, that translates, that translates to the screen, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, a previ- previous book or something like that, that would make a lot of sense. Now, and it's interesting that you ask me that because one of our missions at Metamorphosis, which is our entertainment company, is, you know, we want to preserve the cinematic experience, you know, because it is such an important communal cultural experience that, uh, you know, obviously the pandemic caused a lot of issues, but, you know, uh, there is a rebound that's possible if we rethink the way the cinematic experience happens, because so many people have, you know, superior sound systems and home theaters and all that kind of stuff these days, right? Um, so why would I go to a sticky theater instead of around a bunch of people texting, you know, um, which, yeah, fair, you know, but at the same time, you have the Christopher Nolan films, you have the Scorsese film, you have all these people that want to preserve cinema and that experience and filmmaking films that are meant to be seen on the, on the widescreen, the big screen, right? So I think there's a way to answer your question depending on the material, right? So let's say that there's pre-existing IP, expansive book, trilogy, whatever. Series makes sense. For the cinema, original project, original content, original something brand okay. new, something, you know what I mean? Like, so, because Indiana Jones wasn't pre existing IP, you know, uh, Star Wars, the original trilogy, was not ex- pre existing IP. You know, it was original content, it was original ideas that were coming to the theaters. Um, you know, so I think there's, it, it just depends really because. But the argument can be made that can work the other way too. Look at Lord of the Rings, you know. Yeah, but Lord uh, of the Rings was also all shot together, right? They just paced it out. They just correct. spent two years over. And that's where I think Mission, you know, 
it's interesting. Lord of the Rings didn't have at the time, right? They weren't great. They became bigger actors because of Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. But they didn't necessarily have the Tom Cruises and stuff. And I, it just makes me wonder because I, I think how much better would Mission Impossible be if Netflix had owned it with all their money? And right. knowing that just just like just like Ozark, right? Every year and a half, I'm getting a new eight series. Versus when was the last time a Mission Impossible came out? Was it 2018? Right. Right. And now it's 2021. We're gonna get it, maybe 2022, depending right. on what's going. It's it's such a long run cycle, and and I guess that's where the competition comes, and that's where my you know my confusion comes in because mm -hmm. now there's a new competition on your right. run cycle, right? You, the time to make movies, distribute, get everything done with A-list actors, getting them all together, everyone buys off, product placement, everything, right? It's just, it's right. such a long thing. Whereas I wonder how the Netflix and Amazons and Crackles of the world just jumped the shark and said, fuck it. And they are just like eight episodes here. Right, right. And then next year, eight more. And it's just, and I don't know. I mean, I, th I think there's room for both, obviously. No, I wonder, sure. For I wonder how you compete, though, in that. Yeah, but if you're going to do a series, it's going to take you 10 years. If Amazon is going to do a series, it's going to take them three. Right. I, I don't I don't think that it's uh, I don't think it should be viewed as competition. And that's the biggest problem that I okay. think the, the industry is, is running into is, you know, everyone's trying to compete. This is art. At the end of the day, yeah, there's those millions of dollars being thrown around, but it's it's, it's fucking art, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, and when you can view it that way and understand the difference between doing uh, a, a, an expansive previous IP story through eight episodes, or you're taking a Christopher Nolan approach where you're just going to create something completely new every time that does not reliant on another one. The Dark Knight trilogy, an exception, but that's for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but everything else, a, a, a brand new original idea, original story, genre bending, you know, um, you're going to go see a Christopher Nolan film in theaters. Yeah. You know, you know that you are, you know, uh, we even saw Tenet in the middle of the pandemic in the theater because, you know, we're not going to miss that. Hard left and turn. What did you think of Tenet real quick? I think Tenet is uh, one of those weaker ones. But calling a Christopher Nolan film a weaker film is... Yeah, that's like I mean, it's that's a like loaded. Saying, it's a loaded. It's like saying comment. Tom Brady only one. I mean, he still uh, yeah, he, right? But, or no, it's, it's, it's just more like saying like, well, I mean, Tom Brady like you know won the Super Bowl by this many points instead of you know by this many points. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he only it, got that, that's, two <laughs> supermodels pregnant. Because right, right. Well, his cards right. Right. It's because so, I watched I watched Tenet. I, I found it quite fascinating. Um, I love the film, by the way. Don't so when I say weak, I'm comparing it to Inception. I'm comparing it to Interstellar. I'm comparing it to these films that will last 30, 40 years. From yeah, now. I mean, They're I think Inception and, and Interstellar are gonna, especially Inception. But I, the, the the only thing I had was voice quality for Tenet. I don't. Mm. I mean, and there are some interviews where Nolan's like, "No, I I made them mumble. I, I, I to keep people really engaged in some of these long, slower scenes." And it, I, mean, I already have a hard time hearing. I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm pulling this shit up to 90 to try to figure out. It took me seven hours to watch that damn film. Because I just kept backing shit up trying to hear it. Well, it's so interesting you say that because I remember, you know, John and I went back in like what, July, August, I can't remember when, but we went to Alamo and um, we saw it. And I don't, 
recall having any issues hearing anything. And, and it, I've only seen it once, but I'm like, I don't have, I didn't have any of this issue. And I have tinnitus, for God's sake. Like, I've had yeah, you yeah. and I both do, but, I, but you were in a theater, which, and I think this proves to your point of why you watch right. certain movies in a theater. Right. You are, you're, you're transformed when you go into a theater, right? You are, you, you are. Because, because you're not, you're not in the safety of your home. You're not in the like, you know, oh, I can pause it and go take a piss. You know, I, you know exactly. it's like, it's like, no, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm invested in this happening right now because I took the time to leave my home and come to yeah. this screen and watch this. It is an event. And that's, ah, that goes back to why cinema is so important and why we're trying to do what we're doing. You know, so, another way to answer your question is it would probably take a lot for me to convince me that to do a series on, uh, on a streaming platform because I don't even want my films moving forward to be on streaming to start out on a streaming platform you know we want our films to have theatrical runs before they go to streaming because we want to encourage that so what are we doing well not to get sidetracked but one thing that we're exploring with this next project is creating an immersive theatrical experience. You know, it's going to be small scale, of course, in the beginning, but we're, we're, we want to have an audience be so engaged in a film or in a project, you know, that, that, that you know, we did it already with Hyde. We did it. We did an experiment uh, back in December of 2019 before the pandemic happened. And we had actors uh, in, in the audience as they were taking their seats. Uh, we this the theater we set decorated the theater became a, a set piece for the film we had a surround sound uh soundscape created for the uh you know so all this is happening while you're taking your seats and you're just like what the fuck is going on wow. and, and actors are messing with you and everything and it was it was highly successful people loved it um so we took, we, we just did it as an experiment to see how people would respond have you done have you seen those uh korean 4k Movie oh, the, the, the screeners? Yeah, we've, we've yeah. I, I, oh, gross. Was, it's winter, and all of a sudden it's 20 degrees in that mug, and they're blowing <laughs> swirlies around like assholes, and you're just like, I, I'm, I, I like the abominable snowman. I still like warmth. Like, I'm in. Right. You know, it, the, 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 the car crashes and everything fucking shakes in there. Yes. It's surreal. Are you talking about but, that kind of stuff? Uh, we're talking about that kind of stuff. Wow. You know, uh, we, but, you know, we're about to take things to a new level. Now, scaling that is, is, is incredibly complex and incredibly sure. challenging. So, you know, by, by kind of crafting, uh, you know, micro experiences in the beginning to kind of get a better idea of how this thing can scale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, down the road, obviously, you know, it'd be best if we had our own own place so we could do that. You know, we have like a specific theaters that, that, that are modular and can become, you know, complete set pieces and, and experiences from the films that we release. Um, but uh, yeah, way down the road. But uh, but even but, but still, the point really is getting giving people a reason to leave their home and go to a theater. And but all the bells and whistles aside, what matters most? The goddamn story. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, I will say this. What the 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 complete paradox, the the difference of black and white for what a group like what Alamo Draft House did for movie watching mm -hmm. versus what AMC has done for movie watching mm -hmm. is night and day. It is. It is it's night a, and they're two different planets. They're two different, I mean. One is a is I don't mean this disparagingly for anyone that lives in it. One is a is a broken down trailer, and you're just you're you don't know what you're sitting down on, run by fourteen year olds. And the other is right. an experience. You know, right. I, Correct. I, I work with a guy who 
even in the financial services business, he's like, no, no, I sell experiences and my experience needs to be better than someone else's. Yes, 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 yes. The difference is, is that all these other assholes in the industry, they think they're selling mortgages. I'm but selling see, experiences. It's all mindset, right? It's all mindset. Um, and you have to think, you have to think outside the box because one of the things, and, and, and this, this is something that, you know, we've been building pretty significantly over the past, um, you know, year or so is like, what does this look like? You know, how, how do we do this? And it, it is, it is one of those things, what we uncovered was, you know, yeah, we could probably create a VR, AR experience, but you know, it's been done. People are kind of bored with that, you know, so we're like, we started thinking about growing up as kids. You know, what are the most memorable things as kids that we experienced? It was going to Disney World, going to Disneyland, going to, you know, these things where you can tangibly touch things and smell things. And it was this 4D environment. So you feel like you're a part of a world and not an observer. And so we're like, you know, th those things stuck out. And even today as an adult, you know, that excites me, you know, and that excites us. So we're like, all right, cool. So we need to create something where adults can feel like kids again and, and get that same level of excitement, you know, and that same rush. Now, imagine you walk into a theater, you know, everything around you is, is from the world of this film. So now you're, now you're part of the story, whether you like it or not. And lights go down. You're not bombarded with advertisements and, 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 and you get ads on YouTube, you get ads, you get ads everywhere. Lights go down, the movie starts, you're in it. And in credits roll, lights kind of come up. And instead of exiting the way you came in, you exit towards the front. And now you're entering another set piece called the spoiler bar, where you now get to actually talk about this film. If you want, you can go home if you want, but you, you can stay in this world and still have people to engage with and actors to engage with and talk about it. Why oh, so you jumped the shark on trying to think when I became aware of these, probably with the Star Wars is maybe something else where the theater manager would come out. Hey, when you guys leave, shut up. Don't ruin this movie for people. Correct, correct. Because, but that, and that happens all the time. Because so uh, we went saw 1917 when it came to those theaters. Uh, so we were at Alamo Draft House and it was, it was a fun movie. We wanted to talk about it. We leave the theater, you know, the whole group that we went with and we started talking about it. And we saw, we saw a bunch of other people waiting to come in. We were like, fuck, stop talking. So we all shut up. So we didn't spoil anything. And we walked outside and we're standing outside in the parking lot. You know, it's like, it's just kind yeah. of everything. The, the, the buzz, it was a buzzkill. Everything just kind of like, eh. So it's like, all right, well, so our solution to that is by creating an enhanced experience where you can actually go to one bar where you didn't matter, you can talk about anything because everybody's seen the movie. And, you know, you can continue to talk about it and engage, but you're also still in the world. You know, you look around, you, know, you can get a drink, you can, you know, whatever, you know, and, and it is a safe environment to be able to continue the conversation if it sparked anything and to continue to play and have, have a good time. You know, I love it. I remember I did anybody. I did. Uh, I went to the uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle premiere, mm -hmm. and then right, you know, you just walk out, walk out the theater right next to the little bar area, and everyone's there. And we're at this. We're at the party, and everyone was just so engaged. The actors are there. Everyone's having fun. They got a DJ, and then those assholes brought in White Castle, <laughs> and that bar stunk so bad. 
but it because it was such an immersive you all ate experience. It. You all ate it. No, it <laughs> you was, oh, I didn't. Eat it. No, man, I'm <laughs> shit my pants. <laughs> right, right. But you know, but everyone else was like, "Fuck!" I remember how horrible this shit smells now. Like everyone <laughs> went from nostalgia to damn it. That's right. These things are fucking awful. Right, 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 right. Now I, now I know why. Right. Now, right. now everyone's eating them still. Right. They're still biting. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're getting you're getting the bag with the grease, and it's just yeah, everyone, yeah. Oh, This smells, and the the the. <laughs> stunk the theater stunk it was all but but it was guess what it was an experience it was an experience and i still remember i'm still talking about it exactly and that was what 20 years ago 18 years ago something like that funny story here right talking about experiences you know uh this past Halloween turned 40 and this, you know, we actually decided to to road trip it from Dripping Springs, Texas to uh, Savannah because I've always loved Savannah. And that was the weekend that we made the decision to move for multiple reasons. Um, But uh, so we're we're, we're there or here and we ended up going to this, uh, you know, Prohibition Museum bar. It's called, it's a speakeasy. Oh, nice. And it was amazing. The bartenders there are freaking awesome. They, they, we took this cocktail class and we learned how to make cocktails, which I am actually drinking a cocktail that I made myself. Uh, it is called, affectionately called a Lancaster, which is named after a character in our next project. Um, but uh, so we took this cocktail class and learned a lot about actually mixing and making cocktails. It's fascinating. But uh, on my birthday, it was, it was Halloween night. My birthday's on the first, November 1st. And, you know, so we're kind of like talking about birthday drink, or whatever, and I'm like, tell a bartender, that oh, surprised me. And this guy goes to his backpack and like pulls out, I've never heard of this shit in my life. I, I don't even remember what it's called anymore, uh, to be honest. And he's like, just here, take this, happy birthday. And so I'm taking, I'm like, ah, this is awful. He's like, yeah, it tastes like <laughs> a foot. It tastes like a foot, doesn't it? <laughs> like, Why would you give me this? And, you know, but, but. That is a that is a story that I'm going to be able to talk about my 40th birthday. Like that was my birthday shot. You know, it was this horrible toenail tasting fucking, you know, oh. liquor. You know, but I, I, that's an experience that I'm going to be able to have a fun story to over like oh I had a birthday drink it had like chocolate in it. You know, I went I mean? to I Applebee's and I got yeah. the song. it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got the riblets. I had diarrhea. <laughs> exactly. So. It, but, it's, but to your point, you had an experience, right? You know, mm-hmm. for better or worse. But and it, it was probably intentional that it was worse because it's kind of a castle. Um, but that is the thing, right? Creating something, creating memories, and that, that's that's what we want to be in the business of doing through our films is creating memories. You know, we 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 what are we watching right now? A film that was made in 1986. You know, <laughs> and, and we watched one that was made in 1970, whatever. When the Rush Raiders lost our, and it's like. Well, we're still watching. We're still talking about it. They still matter. They're still they still apply to today, and that that's because they invoke certain feelings. They have a certain impact on us. You know, whether they're adults or whether we're teenagers or whatever watching these films, and we still go back to them. They they're timeless films, and that's what we want to create. So back to creating or crafting a story. You know, if you if you're just trying. To, to, to make something or whatever, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to judge anybody for doing what they want to do. You know, you just want to make, make movies to make money, then that's, that's your business. That's fine. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody they're wrong for doing anything. You know, what we want to do 
is we want to make stories that are timeless. We want to make stories that will always matter. And there's so much more attention that has to be given at every level, at every level. I'm going to pause right there and take a piss because I got to go to the bathroom real quick. Go to the bathroom. I'm going to chat about this really quick because as you're talking about this experience, it, it reminds me of something, right? So go ahead. Go, 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 go. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to chat about. Yep. So it's, you know, as, as he's talking about the, the experience, folks, it, it's very interesting because essentially that's what the movie is, right? It's, it's an experience. And in that experience, one of the things that I like about it is the relatability or the idea that down the road something could happen and if it does happen then there's a relation back you know that's obviously for my life and what I do and who I am as a person uh it's a little more you know like the Vince Vaughn movies are are, are a little more relatable or um any of those only because quite simply you know they're having fun they're going out there they're doing crazy shit and i have you know with my friends a uh, good bad or indifferent have uh, done some foolish things and some fun things and most of them are foolish and fun and in that foolish and fun game what you get is uh you know you get this menagerie of uh, of stories uh and when you're watching a movie and that relates or more importantly you're watching a movie and then two years down the road something fun happens it's like shit this is just like x y and z movie right and in that you can you know you can you can really it keeps the nostalgia alive it keeps the experience alive it keeps the presence of of that show alive and that and the presence of that movie alive i mean the idea of of um you know of, of vince vaughn's movies where everyone's like oh it's kind of always the same yeah but don't you know that guy isn't that fun to watch because you've had those stories, you've had those experiences, you've done those things. I mean, the reality is, yeah, you have, and yeah, they are. So, you know, as, as much as the character development is there, as much as the story's there, the reality is, is that if you can't embrace and rely on that experience, either A, you're going to have it down the road, and what would you do when you run through this? Like, if you found a kid in a spaceship, what would you do? What's that experience like? How do you run through that? Or the Vince Vaughn film, any of them, and he's getting drunk and being silly with a girl, well, you've done that. Or you're 15 and then you're all of a sudden you're 21 in college and you know you have this fun bar scene and you crash a wedding and then you look back and you're like, this just reminds us of that fun movie. And it, it, it helps it live longer and longer. Wedding Crashers is not an Academy Award winning film. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Because the experience of who those people are, of understanding those people, of embracing those pe of those characters, and knowing that you've done something like that, is what makes it last. Because your story aligns <laughs> with that story, which makes you want to watch the movie again. Planes, trains, and automobiles is not is not an, a story about Thanksgiving. It's an experience of travel and we've all had shitty travel. We've all been fucked by the rental car company. The planes have not taken off because of weather. The trains have stopped. The buses suck. We've had it all. So it works because you can relate to the experience and it makes you think of your own. And when you think of your own, I think the groovy part is, is then you tell stories and to bring it full circle to this thing. That's why we do this podcast. 
Right. No, 100 percent. Because the, I mean, how, we, you and I both have already sharing stories, right? <laughs> and, 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 and and that's but that's ah, that's why the spoiler bar. That's why that that's why we want to create that because there's nothing worse than the buzzkill you experience when leaving a theater and you can't share it anymore. You know, because you know you're it's fresh, right? It's it, it's like oh, okay, uh, I, I'm an Auburn fan. You know, and we, you know, uh, Auburn football is, is I, cut me, I bleed orange and blue. You know, we have so many traditions in the SEC. SEC is the, the wildest place for college football. And one of our traditions at Auburn is, you know, we, uh, and it comes from uh, an event that happened in the 60s, but, you know, every, if we win, we go to Tumor's Corner, which is uh, the corner of campus in downtown Auburn. There's, there we, we used to be these old beautiful oak trees, and then they have new ones in there now because somebody poisoned them. Yeah, I heard about that. It's gross. Right. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, what we roll it, we 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 roll it with toilet paper. We TP it, you know. However, people talk. Well, not this last year, you wasteful sons of bitches. Okay, <laughs> we're <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all, all Auburn fans like hoard it. It's like, no, we need this throw wins. Listen, guys, I know you want to wipe your ass, but I also have a tradition. We got, and we it's got, the we SEC, got, so we got football games to win. Okay, we got football games to win. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> you can use a leaf. Um, <laughs> come on, be an adult. Yeah, come on, come on. Just, yeah. So, but it, it's it, the reason I say that is because there's, there's an equivalency to. We just won a game. There's this high. There's this excitement. There's this buzz. There's this activity. There's this shared experience. Now we're all going to tumors. We're going to roll. It's going to be amazing. Now imagine, you know, applying it to, to watching a movie. There's, there's this excitement. There's, it was amazing. It was awesome. You just saw like Star Wars. The, the thing just got the, the Death Star was just blew up. It was this big thing. But you now can't say shit. You have to keep your mouth shut because and for obviously you don't want to ruin it for somebody else. Yeah. And I get yeah, I get that. That's fair, but. Where can you, but, then, but now you just have this, it's like, you know, we just won a football game, but now we're going to have to not roll towards the corner. Like it, it's, it's, it's a buzzkill. So imagine being able to do what you're just talking about, share these experience, experiences and be like, oh my God, that just reminds me of this one time with blah, 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 blah. Because I saw this in the movie. You can share these things, but you, there's, there's this further communal experience where now strangers are engaging. Strangers are talking. And we're getting out of our boxes. You know, we're leaving our boxes and coming together again. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's not just about making money in movies. It's about creating communal experiences, you know, and, and shared experiences. So here's, so here's the question for you. In all of this creating and all of this fun, uh, and I'm going to go grab myself a beer here because this mm -hmm. is, is going to be a good answer and I want people to listen. In all this experience and all of this fun, one of the crucial parts and I've just, I've heard rumors that it might take some money to make a film. It sometimes does. And unlike Blair Witch, where you could get motion sickness because they just did it on a budget and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I would argue that, Bert. I would argue that Hollywood and investors in Hollywood should bet a lot more on smaller films than on bigger films because the ROI from turning a million dollars into 50 is a lot greater than turning a hundred million into 110. Correct. It just is. Correct. So with that said, how does a filmmaker like yourself and your studio, what you guys are doing, how do you guys raise money, whether it's from investors or from people? And then also if it's from a person like me, like a group, like I've seen some crowdfunded films before, mm -hmm. how does that work? 
You know, I mean, I've been a part of, I was, I helped my friend Jane do a, do a, um, a podcast, like a crowdfunded podcast, right? I gave her 50 bucks or whatever. She's like, oh, you get a speaking role. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to speak role. I got a podcast. I already talked too much, you know, but I just <laughs> right. want to support you, you're my friend. So here, right. you know, like, I don't, I don't have a lot of money, but right. I'll give you 50 bucks, you know, uh, that's a big deal to me. And uh, I hope it's a big deal to you in helping you out. Right. And so obviously it's a podcast, you know, that's more editing and producing voices and some art. You've got a lot more moving parts and actors, you know, and you at some point got to pay yourself back for the time you did in writing the film and all of that effort like that. You can't look at that time as being an investment. I mean, you still got to make your money right. back on the time you've spent doing that. So how does all that work? So the complexities. <clears throat> also the, the complexities and then how are you going to do money? No, for right, no, exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and yeah, so the, the, the complexities as a whole, right? So what you, what you run into is, first off, I got an idea. How am I going to tell the story? Okay, cool. You figured out a lot of these things. You now have a completed script. You put all this time, put all this energy into it. Now you're into the point where, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make this? And there are a million ways to skin a cat, especially when it comes to financing a film. And, you know, you have, obviously the studios, they have endless amounts of money that they can throw at something and they throw, they throw money at problems, they throw money at, at whatever. Then you have the independent side, which can be any number of, of, uh, of, of avenues anywhere from you know running a crowdfunding campaign to uh trying to get distribution trying to uh get you know a minimum guarantee from distribution from trying to sell it to a studio like there there, there are there are many different avenues independent filmmakers can go down um the challenge obviously is going to be you know it, it there's a hundred million other independent filmmakers trying to do the same thing so i what we're doing, and our answer to that is, you know, we're, we're wanting to create, uh, there's, there's a two-pronged approach to this. You know, we have distribution already attached to our project. So it, it, it is understanding what distribution can offer and finding, you know, and then leveraging certain aspects of that. So with us, it is, okay, we have distribution attached already, just based on the script. So they, you know, were like, okay, well, based on the script, it's a science fiction mystery thriller, we can sell this so long as we have talent attached. Okay, so how do we get that talent attached? Mm -hmm. All right, cool, we need development funding. Okay, well, how do, how do we get development funding? There you go, crack that open. <laughs> Black Pumas from Fourth Tap, you're welcome, Fourth Tap. You realizing <laughs> this is not how you advertise on a podcast, bucks. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have, uh, you know, okay. So how do we get how do we get money for development? How do we get the? So you really have to think outside the box. So what are we going to do for our film? We're going to crowdfund elements of development. Ooh, but we're going to partner with a company. We're 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 specifically going to run it on WeFunder, which is an actual crowdfunding uh, platform that utilizes. Uh, investors uh, that, that are built into the system. Uh, anybody can invest, but there's also like a whole plethora of investors they have in their roster sure. and in their wheelhouse. Unlike a Kickstarter and Indiegogo, 
Um, but we've actually uh, uncovered a, a company called Growth Turbine that we're going to do lots of free advertising here on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're going to partner with Growth Turbine, who actually lays out very specific strategies in, in how to accomplish your, your goal, right? And without getting into the details, because I, I can't. Um, sure. But uh, essentially, we want to crowdfund a certain amount of our uh, development funding. But we have something different and unique that we're also trying to do with our projects. And that is, you know, me being a combat veteran and having other veterans that are already attached to the project. One of our missions is to bring in more veterans and put them in front of and behind the camera, giving them an opportunity to integrate with citizens rather than creating silos and, and isolation pockets of, you know, well, this is our group, this is your group, this is our group. Instead, we want to integrate. Integration is how people can transition into normal life. But there's also a lot of parallels from military structure into the uh, production structure in a film. Most people don't know this, but the film structure actually was set and based around military structure when, it's, when, it, when film first started, um, which is why you have a lot of similarities. Um, so, that, and so what we're doing is we're partnering with a veteran nonprofit mm-hmm. as a fiscal, uh, they're going to be our fiscal sponsors. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, that means that uh, somebody, whether it's a company, corporation, or individual, can invest, or not invest, they can donate to that nonprofit. That nonprofit will receive the funds, and between whatever we agree to, for, and these are just an example, let's say that sure. they, we've agreed that they're going to take 10% of the donation. They're going to keep 10% of it and they're going to give us the rest for our project. So it becomes a win-win-win. It's a write-off for the donor. The nonprofit gets 10% of the amount and the film gets the, the remaining 90% for the project. So everybody is... But I think there's another moment. way in there as well and something that, you know, folks... I've had the pleasure to talk with Dallas off mic quite a bit and his drive and determination uh, is one, but his commitment to veterans is another. And for those that have had a pleasure to spend time with Dallas, he's always talked about incorporating and bringing veterans into programs. And so I don't want that to get lost because there's another win there. And that is you're putting veterans to work and you're putting them not in a silo, like you said, you're, you're, you're putting them with other people and right. you're, you're merging not just talents, but you're showing and highlighting, you know, the respect, if you will, of, of the work that they've done and accomplished and what they've done for us to have the freedoms to do silly shit like this, as well as the, um, the ability to show the transition into the real world that, that actually all those talents, all that work, all that effort, all that discipline is, I mean, shit, we, you know better than I, we need it more now than ever. Right. I mean, people are upset and freaking out and doing dumb shit all over this country all the time. And I think of two things. One, lack of education. You don't have these dumb fucking conversations if you actually put kids in school. And right. you know, I mean, the fact that in Austin, Texas, downtown schools are rated a one and a school in North and South Austin are rated a 10 is bullshit. Right. Yeah. It just, especially in this country, it's bullshit, but it shows our lack of discipline and education. However, 
you know, what else, what else will we see? Oh, a lack of discipline because we have less and less. It is easier to get into a four-year college than it is to get into the armed forces. Right. It just is. And what does that show? Lack of discipline. Right. So you got a lack of education, lack of discipline. And when you put both those two things together, there's nothing better for this country than bringing the most disciplined people who have put forth effort, who understand pain and progress in front of you. Not mm -hmm. so that you can show them how to turn a fucking camera on, but so right. that you can see the discipline and how when they do something and follow through with something and make changes, right. why they're made and why they're done. And I know I'm right. preaching to you at the choir with this, but for everyone else who's listening, go do some research. And I can, I'm gonna tell you this again, it is easier to get into a four-year college than it is the armed forces. So this dumb rhetoric that was started in the late eighties that, oh, they're just plucking poor kids out of nowhere. And they're just, you know, they're just stealing dumb people and putting them in the army is not true. Well, it's interesting, it's interesting you say that because uh, proof in the pudding, right? I spent 10 years uh, in the army, not to get sidetracked, but to- just, Don't get sidetracked. Yeah, come yeah. on, man, you know me too. I got you know, <laughs> it's bothering me. <laughs> to illustrate your point though, uh, you know, one of the entry uh, exams, if you want to call it that, is the ASVAB, which is an aptitude battery that you take. Uh, yeah, I took it, I failed yep. <laughs> Well, so the, here's the thing, right? So the ASVAB, you know, it, it pretty much gives you a, a breakdown of, of like, okay, well, these are the different jobs you're qualified for within the military and everything. And people often think that the infantry is bottom of the barrel. People just go to the infantry because they're dumb and they can't, you know, they pass anything. So they just, they're, they're, you know, grunts, right? Mm -hmm. well, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud grunt, but I also scored enough of my ASVAB to do whatever I wanted. Um, and interesting, I spent three years of that 10 years as a recruiter and uh, in Athens, Georgia. And what I actually found out, because I had to issue out, I, you know, with all the people that I recruited, everyone that, that chose infantry had a higher score on their ASVAB than every, any other MOS, any other job in the, in the military, in the army. And, there, and so to, to, to see if I could further prove this, this interesting revelation, you know, we had a, a, a recruiter's team event type thing where so all the recruiters in a certain region come together. And I was like, so question for you guys, you know, uh, who scored XYZ in an ASVAB? Okay, cool. How many guys are infantry? Okay, cool. So all the infantry people raise their hand. I'm like, what was your scores? This, 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 this. And everyone else in the like, I was MI, I was this, I was this. I'm like, they had like lower scores. So this whole thing of like, you know, proved y'all wrong, bitches. Like, it's like, no, we just chose because, you know, it's, it's not that we're better than anybody. No, don't, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. It's just that we're just dumb in a certain other regards. <laughs> but we crave, I, for me personally, I'm just speaking for myself. Sure. You know, I, I wanted to instead of watch history happen on TV, I wanted to be a part of it. And I felt personally, the only way that I could do that was if I actually chose to be infantry and eventually I went to airborne school as well. So I was a paratrooper. But if I did it that way and actually was in combat, you know, and, and it's not, that's not to like to glorify combat. It's not to glorify anything. It's just to illustrate that that, that was my line of thinking. And, you know, it was, you know, I wanted to be a part of it in that way and not, you know, any other way. Because, again, I don't want to ever degrade somebody else's choice to, to choose something else in the military because sure. we're all same team, same fight. And everybody has their own experiences 
even admin people have been in some serious shit in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I'm never going to downplay that. No, um, we're just going to make fun of Navy SEALs for cute tan months. <laughs> well, no, no. We're going to make fun <laughs> of Navy SEALs because they all get a book deal on signing their contract. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> so, and I got a lot of SEAL friends. We, we talk game shit all the time. Uh, but uh, I bring up the tan lightings because that's what Tim Kennedy told me. Yeah, go, What's no, the difference between Rangers and SEALs? He goes, tan lights. They, were better. <laughs> they have better tan lights. They wear Speedos. We wear real clothes. It's true. Exactly, which is true. Um, no, but, but but that that was my line of thinking, right? And, and, and joking aside, you know, like you know, we're not we're no longer technically in a wartime period, but as a country, we forget that there is now twenty years worth of combat veterans. Just because we're no longer in a wartime environment, doesn't mean that everything affiliated with that, with those 20 years just goes away and disappears. Yeah. There's a lot of work to do now. And, you know, the, the, there are tons of organizations, there are tons of resources now available. You know, they weren't when I first, when we, we first started this whole thing. But one thing that we wanted to address was the integration piece, because, you know, there, there are plenty of groups you can be a part of but where's the integration? Yeah. You know, where, where's, how can a citizen understand a veteran? How can a veteran understand a citizen? Because it's not one way, you could both gotta understand each other. And, you know, we're just as guilty as veterans of, 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 of being isolated because we've done it to ourselves because he's like, well, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. Well, no shit, they don't understand. They didn't do, they, they didn't volunteer, you did. You know what I mean? And I can see that because I volunteered twice and it's not their fault. Why did I do what I did? So they didn't have to. So why am I going to blame them? Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's not right uh, to blame them. They didn't choose that, and that is perfectly fine. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and, but you need to understand that they don't understand you, and that's okay. So how do you how do you how do you bridge that gap? You know, how do you how do you help each other? And and that is the biggest thing is, 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 is that we're lacking in humanity is helping each other out. And you know, veterans should not rely on everybody to do something for them because they're, it's owed to them. It's not, you know, we should be helping each other out, period. At the end sure. of the day, we should just be helping each other out. And so that's kind of in our own micro way of doing that through film is creating that integration. No, I mean, I think it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's a great, it's a great thing, you know, and it, it shows a, a lot of your, uh, of your your calling and and just your heart and who you are you know i mean it's it's always an interesting thing to me to uh you know to, to see where people decide to give back or where, where they put their money where their mouth is or their time where their mouth is right because there's a lot mm -hmm. of people who talk a lot but then they don't do anything you know and, and so we got to help veterans like well, what are you doing you know, you're out here, you're working with groups and hiring them, putting them to work and working with the charities and getting them notoriety and recognition and all of those aspects is, is, it's far more than endearing or admiring. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a beautiful reality, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, outside of what you're doing, you know, you got to thank God for the weed business because they need top-notch security because they can't put their money in banks and guess what? Yeah, 20 years of some of the 
best, you know, best trained people on planet earth coming through. Thank God they mm-hmm. can be hired for that. Right. But then also, you know, we, we've got to take a step back and go, Hey man, how are we taking care of our people? What are we doing? Honestly, right. what are we doing? You know, and, and, and really take a step and look at that. And then also, you know, take a step back and look at not only what are we doing, but then how are we engaging? What's the experience? You know, how is it that we can have this great country and these wonderful people and we can create in the military, even in the toughest conditions, camaraderie and brotherhood, sisterhood and everything else. And then at the same time, destroy it all as soon as they put their feet back on this soil. It breaks my heart. Well, and, 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 and that's why, and this is why we go to integration because there is, you know, okay, so, so let's think about this for a second. In, in military, you know, you have missions, right? Mm-hmm. You have mission prep, you have mission execution, and you have mission recovery. And then you get ready for the next mission. So, you, have, <laughs> you know, that's just the way that it is, right? <laughs> You, by the way, your hands went shorter on the recovery. I don't know if that's just psychological, <laughs> but you're like mission prep. We got the fucking mission. Your hands off the screen, and then recovery was like the sixteenth of an inch. You're like, yeah, get a little recovery. Because during recovery, you're we doing this over here again, right? Yeah, recovery because you're doing prep again for the next mission, right? So, uh, but that's film because you have pre-production. Yeah, production. Mm-hmm post-production as you're getting ready for the next thing. So every film is a mission, right? So there is this, but even then you have this chain of command structure within the film industry, not unsimilar to what you have in the military. And, you know, you have, uh, you do have a fraternal aspect in, in, you know, in the production world. If you do things right, if you create the right culture, you have a a fraternal aspect to where people are, are, are all trying to accomplish the same end goal. And, you know, by bringing in, you know, veterans who, who, who've lived in that culture for their careers and, and integrating them with filmmakers who, you know, do adopt a similar mindset, you sure. know, of accomplishing a mission. And then you, they just, it's, it's what we call in the military is a force multiplier. So now you have this, uh, uh, you know, enhanced uh, mission goal and everyone's going to do what it takes to get the thing done and done well. But also, you're going to have problem solvers, you know, because what did I say earlier? 99% of filmmaking is problem solving. And, you know, and that's just what we do. But that's the fun part of it, right, is how do we accomplish this thing? How do we overcome this obstacle? How do we figure this out? How do we improvise, adapt, and overcome? And that is film. And what better place to integrate both veteran and citizen than a production atmosphere because it can it can set the tone for how other groups or organizations can can follow and a little bit easier flow for them right i mean stepping right. in and already seeing a structure and a flow that matches right what they've done before you know it's again you know i mean obviously the military has a, has a special place in my heart i think it should for everybody uh i think that you know unfortunately um there has been some lack of a better term through the media and, and other sources, right? Some bastardization of, of the hardworking men and women. And I think there are, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that we, um, 
you know, we live in a world where <laughs> they, uh, the media can make a mistake every day and, you know, just be like, well, we reported that wrong. Anyways, onto the news. Right. Or they don't even say right. they reported it wrong, it's the next day they just report it differently. But, you know, uh, hardworking men and women make a mistake and it's the fucking front page news for a week. Yeah, and no one knows the backstory. It's like, and, I, and, I, and this is a horrible analogy, so I apologize in advance, but there, there's a method to my madness here. I was, this gentleman on, uh, on Twitter that I engage with every once in a while, in a positive way, not a negative way. It's like, we need to loosen the permitting standards in Austin so that they can build more houses. We got to build more houses. And I said, that sounds great, but you're wrong. Mm-hmm. because until you fix the financing that allows gig and non-QM workers to get loans so they can buy houses, it doesn't matter how many you build. It right. just doesn't fucking matter. And, you know, it, it's like, hey, man, it doesn't matter how many wars are fought, won, lost, or anything else if we do not know how to take care of the people there and we don't understand what they've gone through, what they're going through, and what's happening so that we can relate in some capacity. It's, it's like we, we, we put military personnel when, when there's a war or a conflict happening, we put them in this jar. Mm-hmm. And you want the best and the baddest, right? You want the best military in the world until they do the best and the baddest. And then you're shocked mm-hmm. or some, you know, somebody's shocked. Why would they do that? Right. And they instantly believe the enemy. You know, it's like, when we were in the first Iraq war conflict and there's, you know, the people are holding, this was a milk factory. I'm like, how did they get that in English perfectly for the milk factory, for the cameras? Mm-hmm. And people believed it. Okay. I was like, you guys, come on. And so I'm saying, now you're gonna put the military on blast. You're gonna put, and you don't know the whole story. No one does, because you weren't Context. there. Context, Context is, is everything. And you don't know. And you, and like, it's like the housing, you know, we're in the housing problem around, it goes back to 2008 and well-intentioned over-regulated legislation. It's very simple, right? It's very simple. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that maybe, just maybe we shouldn't live in sound bites. Just maybe you shouldn't hear what George Stephanopoulos says and just run with it as truth. Mm-hmm. Not, not saying the guy's a liar. I'm just saying you shouldn't do it just maybe you should be a little more well-rounded. And that to me always comes back to education, but also I think one of the greatest educations and, you know, and an education in understanding people, I don't know that there's a greater education outside of, and it's, it's parallel to um, in some capacity, but not very well. I mean, the closest thing you get to a good education of understanding people for the average person is college. The best education mm-hmm. is the military because you're put in positions of make or break. I would say life experience is probably the best education. You know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into uh, my necessity because again, sound bites, right? Uh, you know, I have a, a thought process that I think everybody should go through before they even go to college. You know, I, I, there are certain countries that do the whole, you know, two-year service. You know, um, and I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, it, it provides you some kind of guidance, but it also provides you resources afterwards, you know, um, but, you know, without getting in too deep into that, uh, you know, because uh, it's, it's a whole Well, you know wax. how I get into rabbit holes. You can call, <laughs> you can call us out. You can just climb us right out and jump into something else. But I just, I think it's important <laughs> no, for people but, to know because I really want people to know and understand veterans isn't a word. Right. 
right? It's not, it's not a person. It's not an action. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an experience that we can draw from and it's experience we should learn from. And more importantly, it's something we should respect. And I don't see it enough. You know, I don't, I, I just, I don't see it enough. And then I don't think people pull away from the military what they should. They see conflict, they see violence, they see death. And it's not that those things exist or don't exist. It's, it, that, that's not the point. They're missing the forest for, for the trees. Right. Because where, where do you have a stronger community? Where do you know someone has your back? Where do you see the world in a way where you are not only protected, but protecting? Like, right. where, where does that happen? It, it only happens there, right? It really does. You know, I mean, there are obviously there's jujitsu schools and there's MM and there, there's other areas, right? Where you, you get pushed, you know, sports, you get pushed, but that's entertainment, right? It, right, right. And I would rambling, say, no, 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 it's fine. I, Cause here's the thing, like, I mean, it, it, you're, 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 you're right, but what's the solution? The solution is proper integration. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it is, it is philosophy and the idea of, you know, the, the only way people will understand is if they're, if they're, if they're taught slash shown, you know, and that's, that's what we're setting out to do, you know, and it is another military adage of lead by example. And, you know, if we, we're not concerned about trying to get, you know, press or, or, or headlines or anything like that, you know, we just want to lead by example, we're just going to do us, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do what we're doing. And, you know, we, it, depending on what you believe in, you know, whoever's listening, you know, there, there is a universal karmic, whatever it is, you know, if, if, if you practice what you preach and you just do, then, you know, it will resonate. It will sure. go, you know, and, you know, because one thing that we, we don't want, we don't want to get in Twitter fights. We don't want to get, in, I mean, what? We live in a world where that's even a fright. That's even like a term, Twitter fight. Like, I mean, it's like, it shows how, how silly, right. But, 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 but Twitter, when you, if you told me that word 20 years ago, I'm like, the hell are you talking about? You know, it's like, it, it, it's, instead of getting wrapped up into this, instead of getting wrapped up in, into, into that, it's just like, just lead by example, just do, just do. You know, like, because, you know, the, the people that you serve, the people that you make an impact with and a difference in, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same thing. They're going to spread it. So you have this, 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 uh, this waterfall effect or this trickle effect that, that eventually it all starts to spread and gets wider and wider and wider, but you only do it by practicing. You only do it by doing it. And you don't, you don't scream it to the top of your lungs. You just do it, mm -hmm. you know, and you do it for the right reasons. You do it uh, because it matters. And, you know, people will respond to that more than they will any headline. And, you know, positivity trumps negativity every time. Yeah, think, about, think about inception, you know, if we're going to get off of aliens for a second, talk, think about inception. When they're, trying to, when they're trying to figure out, you know, what, 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 what idea they're going to plant inside Fisher's mind, you know, they said, well, we can capitalize on the problem with this. And somebody else responds, mm, positivity trumps negativity every time, because it does. Sure. Because it negative opens you up. It, it opens you up. Negative association, 
is exactly that, negative association. And you resist that. You don't want that. You know, so you don't create it, you don't create it, you know, and, and don't and don't facilitate it by responding or responding in kind negatively. Just do be positive and and, and, and try and see things. It's, it's not easy in this world to do that. It's actually harder to try and take a positive approach. Um, takes a lot of work, you know, yeah. but it, and, and it takes a lot of support from a network of people that also believe in the same idea. Um, but it is possible, you know, and if you do the harder work in doing that, then you can truly start to make a difference, which is what we want to do. Tying right back to storytelling, you know, it is, it is finding a way as a filmmaker, that's what we want to do, right? You know, as a director and, and Gianna as a producer, like as storytellers, what we want to do is we, yes, it, it is a dark film. It's a science fiction mystery filler. It's, it's dark. It's scary. There's some dark things, but we also pose some interesting questions. We, we make people think. We give people uh, you know, an opportunity to really kind of introspectively think like, oh, what would I do here? Or, man, they, it, it's the Joker in Dark Knight. It's like you kind of empathize with his, his point. You're like, he's not wrong, you know, so that it make, makes you think. So, mm -hmm. but we don't, but also like, how do you end a film like that? How do you end a film that's that way? And we've, we've, we've without, I'm not gonna say shit because you just gotta see the film. Yeah. But, you know, you end it in a way that gives people hope. And if you can do that in your films, if you can, it's not just what you do on set because that's everything. You know, the culture that we wanna create is everything because we wanna create these positive environments that people can thrive in and, and take to, into their lives. But it needs to come through our stories as well. There needs to be, you know, a positive, you know, uh, hopeful message, something that people can latch on to be like, man, that was scary. It was suspenseful. Did not see these things coming, but they're chewing on it. They're thinking about it. They're like, wow, you know, through all this hardship, something did come out of it. You know what I mean? And, and that, that is, in a lot of ways, the human experience, um, whether you're military or not. Everyone has trauma. Everyone has experiences that shape who they are. And you got to relate to all of them. You know, you got to be able to appeal to all of that. Do you, um, you know, as, as you look at the, this last year's landscape, you know, it, it seemed like from the outside looking in, some movies were rushed and put out just to get content out. Yes. Some stuff was, you know, it was good content that they were trying to hold on to, right? Because they've got a calendar of releasing and they're like, fuck it, get it out. You know, let's mm -hmm. do it. And now we're in a dry spell. You know, we kind of hit that. I think they thought it was going to end sooner and highs and lows for your 20 years down the road. You're wondering what the fuck I'm talking about. It's called COVID. We've got other opinions on that for a different conversation because I am a doctor. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, do you feel... Or have you felt uh, any pressure to get this done faster just because people are hungry for content? Or no. are you just ignoring it and going your own pace? You're like, I ignoring it, we're going our own pace. In fact, uh, because of our, our financial strategy that we've kind of recognized and everything, we, we, we saw this from like, we had a schedule that we wanted to kind of hold to. Uh, schedules in the industry are reliant on two things, money, talent whoever you want, their availability 
if X A lister says I'm not available at this time, but I'm interested, guess what you're doing? You're waiting until they're available because you know that it's going to elevate your project, right? You're going to yeah, do the right thing. So, so of course you're not going to rush that, but uh, no, you can't sacrifice the story. You can't sacrifice the project for rushing something out. And that is a problem with, with, uh, with a lot of things is, you know, oh, we're going to get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. Yeah. Tap the brakes. It's going to be fine. And when we started talking about are you know, some of the new financial revelations that we had through developing a plan, we realized we're going to have to push this another couple of months. But that's okay because the project is happening at the pace it's supposed to happen at. Okay. You know, when you rush something, you know, you it it will reflect. It will it'll reflect. You'll see that, and 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 it won't be what you want it to be. Now, there's a balance. You know, if it, you obviously don't want to to to, to, to two years, it's going to take two more. No, no, no. That's don't do that. You're not going to Tarantino it and be like, no, well, five years later. <laughs> no. No, no, no. It, there's a balance, but but recognizing what a project needs and what a project is trying to do, that's the thing as a creator, right? The project will speak to you. It'll tell you what it wants. You just got to listen. You know, uh, Inception, if we're going to talk about that for a second, like we just yeah. were, took nine years. Uh, Nolan saw, got the inspiration for it, and his brother and him kind of toyed with the idea. It took them nine years to craft by the time it was made. Wow. We've got a project right now that Ian and I co-wrote back in 2017. And because of the scope of this project and because we're tying it into this bigger saga, you know, which has nothing to do with the next one that's coming out, it's probably a decade away. And we're okay with that. How do you balance that? Like if you see things, let's say you've got three things you and your co-writer have written, right? You and Ian have done. And you're working on one and the world changes and you're like, holy shit, that story we wrote is gonna, where the world's trending that way. How do you, I mean, as an example, Jack Carr's book, The Devil's Hand, he wrote it before COVID, but it's about uh, a nation state creating a biological weapon that looks like the mm -hmm. flu that kills people quickly. Right. And so he has to put a whole preface in. He's like, hey man, <laughs> right. ass. he's just like, hey, I'm not riding on the coattails of pain. I wrote this before, right? but this has been a real fear in the military for decades. Oh, of course. For so, decades. And so how do you know when to, or do you just not shift tracks because you have such faith in your process? Right. So I have a baby bladder and I haven't eaten all day. So give oh, me a Oh, is your baby bladder? <laughs> yep. Don't worry. I'm going to chat about some beers then real quick. Do it. So folks, while, while baby bladder steps away um, and you heard a couple of cracks happen, I just want to say something, not an advertisement. These are just friends of mine. Uh -huh. So if you come to Austin, uh, you've got fourth tap, double IPA, stay gold deluxe. Now they have, um, and it's part of the black Pumas. That's this collaboration they've done with musicians. And I, folks, I want to tell you, as soon as you get above 7% in alcohol and beer, right? They can get a little sweet. They can really layer on your, on your, on your tongue. They get overwhelming with, with just, it's, it can be oppressive almost. And it's just, it's broken. It's a broken process and very oppressive. And this is one of the smoothest high alcohol beers I've 
ever had, hands down. I mean, I, in fact, I'm going to jump it above Stash. So Stash, my all, one of my all-time favorite beers, and Fire Eagles right there. And then you got Bloodwork Orange. You got you got a lot of I got a lot of favorite beers because I like beer. Okay, I mean, Cane Ferry Brewing Company, their IPA, bananas good. But this one, there's something about it, man. It's not sweet. It's got a it's it's got a smooth richness to it. The hops are just they're perfect. They're on point. And once again, it's just it's not sugar. It's not sweet. It's really, really nice. So I, I highly recommend it. That said, I also want to bring up, I know we're talking a lot about the military and process, and this is a little different, um, obviously in the last podcast, but that's the diversification of this podcast, you know, and it's, it's really leaning into and understanding and embracing um, where our guests are at, where they're going and what's going on. So you know, as you guys know, I've been listening for the last three years. Uh, this thing with guests changes all the time with tone, context, and reality. I mean, we did the Framley episode uh, right before 2021 hit, and we're out in a driveway, drunk and screaming and having fun, laughing over, I think it was planes, trains, and automobiles, or maybe it was Christmas vacation. I don't remember because we were all hammered. And it was that. And then you've got Nelson Trussler, who's an author. And guess what? His, his story of his life of, of being dyslexic and you know, his, his uh, mom being abused and, and him having a, you know, I mean, all the problems and it was more serious. So this is, this is the fun thing that I love about this podcast is that emotionally it can tap into you in, in a multitude of different ways. And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm staying in this lane of, uh, of the military part is as, as much to do with Dallas as it does with my respect, as it does for, I think, where we're at as a people. You know, we hard men survive hard times and they bring soft people along with them that create better times, but those better times create soft people. And we can't forget the hard people, you know, and we can't forget them in a multitude of ways. And, you know, as, as people act up and act out and do crazy things and show I'm not talking about protesters, but rioters, people who show blatant disrespect for property, for people, for ideals, for morals. I want you to listen again, and I'll repeat what Dallas said. You have 20 years of people who have disciplined and fought hard for this country, for the values that they took in, for a land of the free and the home of the brave. Freedom they fought for. They didn't fought for anything else. They fought for that. They fought for an idea. They didn't fight for a flag. They fought for you and me. They fought for a concept and an idea. And I want to let you know that we need to change our attitude in our ways. That's not a threat. It's a promise. I don't want this country torn apart. I also don't want to wake a sleeping giant. I don't want that 20 years of veterans who have busted their ass to make this the greatest place on planet earth. And I still believe it's the greatest place on planet earth turned into, I disagree with you. So you're a racist or you disagree or, you know, or vice versa. They're not going to have it. They're not going to tolerate that. And, and no one else is. And guess what? They're going to follow the line of, I'm just going to be actionable. And I don't mean that they're going to be violent. I mean that they are going to stand up and they're going to say, wait a second, what did I fight for? Why am I here? And you better give them a fucking answer because right now you don't have one. Right now you're a petulant child. 
You don't have an education. You don't have an idea. You don't have a concept. You don't know except for that you just want to complain. And it's cute because you did it on Twitter five years ago and now you're doing it in public and you're thinking it's the same and it's not. And once again, I'm not talking about them being violent. I'm talking about them standing up, 20 years of veterans standing up going, what the fuck did I fight for? You don't want that because guess what? comes down to a very simple, it's not violence again, folks, it's this. You're gonna be embarrassed. You're gonna be embarrassed. You have to look in the fucking mirror and you're gonna be embarrassed. And your true colors and quality are gonna show. What are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because when that 20 years of people who fought for freedom, and you don't have to agree with why they went over there, but they volunteered because they wanted to help you ensure a better life for you and your kids. Give it a pause. Give it a moment and give it a pause. Because when they stand up and say, what the fuck did I fight for? I'm gonna let you know if you have any respect, any ideals for this country, you're gonna be fucking embarrassed and you should. We need to do a better job of upholding what they fought for. And we're not doing it right now at all. Now we can take my rant. I'll get off my soapbox. We can get back to the fucking movie and have some fun. But you had to go pee and I had something <laughs> yeah. else. No, man, you're good. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I don't have to say it. Um, <laughs> hey, I made, I made Dallas speechless. We're going to put that in there. So he said two things I'm going to take clips out of was one, I'm speechless, and two, you're smart. We're going to pull those two things. Those remembering tones. Wait, I can't say that I didn't say that thing because then you're going to take that clip and use it. Exactly. I'm going to use it against you. That's smarter. So, yeah, but answer your question about trends, right? You know, how do you take a current environment and recognize it for what it is and as the world changes and all that? We We don't pay attention to trends. That's actually something that we've taken a hard line against. So you're a true um, artist, and I, and I mean that in, in the most respectful way. You're a true artist. You believe your art will shine over trends. Yes, um, absolutely. Fads, everything else. Yeah, 100%. You know, 100%. You know, because, you know, what we've got. So it's interesting because after this next project, after the Demeter, every other project, whether it's fiction or whether it's historical, are period films. But we're not telling these films in a historical boring, drab kind of way. We're actually, every project is its own thing. It is a very Nolan-esque approach uh, and Spielberg approach to a lot of these stories. And the, the, the messages and lessons within these stories are timeless lessons and timeless you know, messages. And, and but there's also ways to experience these things that are, are just fun and engaging and not concerned about trends. We don't, we're not trying to keep up with, with any of that stuff. You know, our, our stories, if we do the right thing as, as, as creators, stories will always stand. And if anything, there'll be a standout from what everyone else is trying to do on, on, by, by trending, by trying to keep up with everybody else. It's like, don't worry about anybody else. Tell your, tell, tell tell your stories. I agree with you 100%. I think it's awesome. However, it does, and, the, and coming to a question here, it flies in the face of what everyone else is doing. However, you know, Alien and Aliens didn't follow a, a trend, right? And Star Wars didn't follow a trend. Still, guess what? The world's we watching of, right now. Yeah, I mean, still, guess what? The world's still full of idiots that write checks. It amazes me the dumbness that comes with a billion dollars, right? I mean, like, 
the hedge fund person that wants to make a comedy. I remember there was this guy in Newport Beach. He was a mortgage guy, really smart. Well, I don't know, really smart. He was a mortgage guy. He, uh, he'd come play basketball with us, but he wasn't very good. So we bring his bodyguards. And then if you foul them too hard, right, you, you might get a little foul from a bodyguard that's right. going to really end your career. <laughs> uh, but he also, he, uh, he made this movie, a, a race car movie with Eddie Griffin. And he used his personal Enzo Ferrari. And at the opening of the movie, Eddie decided he was going to drive the Ferrari and he wrecked it. Of course he did. <laughs> you know, at the time, right, when Enzo's first came out, he had to be on a waiting list. He was one of the first five people in the U.S. to get it, I think, for one of the 10. And uh, it's a, it was a $1.5 million car at the time. Mm. It's a $1.5 million dollar mistake. Well, yeah, because it, every piece is custom made. So if you wreck it, you just got to get a new car. You, you're, not, you're not getting anything else. Right, but he just wanted to make a movie to be a cool guy. He wanted to follow a trend of Fast and the Furious and all the other bullshit. Right, he wanted. Right. He's like cars, you know, titties and uh, racing were good. What's interesting though is when you when you actually don't have money to throw at a problem. What did I say earlier? You get those happy accidents because yeah. out, of out of necessity. Because when you can't throw money, you have to creatively solve a problem. You know, whether that's, you know what, we're not gonna be able to get the scene the way we want it. So what are our solutions? That's where you, that's why everything is done in prep, right? You know, and I, I was actually having a conversation with my uh, cinematographer the other day, and you know, we're, we're using uh, screen technology instead of reading screens. We're, we're, we're using practical effects over CGI. We're not actually, we're, we're gonna try to avoid using CGI, period. Wow. Um, and um, we are taking a Nolan-esque approach. Uh, I was gonna say, how dare you, sir? I know. Uh, so instead of green screen, we wanna use, you know, not unsimilar to the Mandalorian, uh, just in a scaled down version because we can't afford a volume, which is what that's called. Um, but we wanna use screens and, you know, to, but, you know, the thing is, we're also building models uh, for the, uh, the ship uh, and, uh, the, the way we have pre-production scheduled is a lot of the builds are taking place for the first, you know, majority of that time. And then the second half of it, uh, we're shooting models. We're shooting, you know, uh, all of the, uh, uh, the practical stuff that's going to end up on the screens. Sure. That way, whenever we, you know, then our actors come on set, also we're creating an immersive set. Uh, we, I can't mention who this is, Yet, we have Leonardo DiCaprio. What's all that? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But no, we have a uh, we have a sound design team that I cannot mention. Okay. Right now, uh, that they're the best in the world, and uh, but we're bringing them on early. They're actually doing uh, pre-production sound work, Ooh. and we're going to have people on set uh, from this team that are going to be manipulating sounds. We're going to have lighting effects and camera. We're going to have uh, moving set pieces and all this kind of stuff. So our actors are actually immersed into the world of the film instead of having to react and interact with things that aren't there. So essentially what this does is this creates an immersive environment where not just talent, but crew, i.e. your camera operator, if your camera operator feels like they're in this world, that one little arc movement from this point to this point 
just there's just this little bit of a artistic approach to it now because now they're like oh, I'm in it, you know, and it, sure. it just changes that. There's this, there's this more uh, you know less robotic approach to making the film, and you're you're getting authentic reactions. And uh, my composer Jonas Wickstrand, who is going to win Oscars one day, I said it right here. Um, he's an ex Hans Zimmer. He's phenomenal. Um, but he's going to, he's already created a suite musically for it. We actually talked about uh, what kind of score approach we were going to take to this project because I have a musical background. So we we're able to communicate musically together. And then you guys are keeping score at home. That's 10 backgrounds that Dallas has. So I'm just <laughs> 10, jump out of an airplane while playing the violin and giving you a musical score and telling Trouble. you about the movie all the way Trouble. down. And they'll make a science fiction thrill if you want to, or you can make it on real life. It's up to you, but it's one of his many, many times. <laughs> so it's the only way this thing is going to work. Um, but uh, but Jonas, is, he's already created a suite. So he's going to be working with this sound team and even creating musical components that we're going to be able to really put the right emotions in play for our talent. And you know, what that creates is authentic emotion, authentic performance, authentic, you know, responses, especially and we're, we're creating a soundboard and we got a guy that's uh, helping us create, you know, the concepts behind uh, uh, some of these immersive components where he's going to be creating this control board where we can actually, you know, the actors won't know when something's going to happen. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be me behind a camera being like, you know, and now you're looking at this and bam, this thing happened. And like, ooh. You know, it's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be, you know, I'm going to hold out and I'm going to push the button when you don't least, when you least expect it. So I'm actually getting an authentic response from you. And it, it, and it's real. We can feel it to the frame. Very, very uh, Poltergeist-esque of you, which I don't know if a lot of people know. All the crazy shit that happened in Poltergeist, they didn't know it was going to happen. And it happened once. I believe, mm -hmm. right? Was it Poltergeist where they, it was all this stuff, the weird shit where they're just like, it's, we're getting one take, <coughs> limited budget, we're getting one take, and right. we're going to crush it on this. And it was from the TV thing to everything else, it was this idea of, I mean, they used real skeletons because it was cheaper than fake skeletons. Was, Which is weird. <laughs> it's also, I mean, the, the element of depth in that, right? If you want right. to freak people out, and you're like, by the way, that's a real skull you're holding. There's an eeriness to that. There like, is an a, eeriness to it. There's, there's an energy to that. There's, there's an energy, energy to that, that, right? Yes, there, there is. is. Because, and I say this a lot, and I'll say it again, folks get freaked out. The brain, it's amazing. We, we try to travel. We try to go into space. We're trying to understand planet Earth. We're trying to understand all this stuff. We're trying to get after AI. And they're like, ooh, AI is going to take over the world. Let me tell you something. AI is not going to take over the world. Let me tell you why. AI didn't name itself. Mm -hmm. It didn't name itself. In fact, we named it AI. And AI never came out and said, I want a new name. I want to be called Bob. No, it didn't. AI is like, hmm, I'll take the name. Guess what? The brain named itself. It named itself. So when you think about a technology, when you think about an idea, when you think about a concept, and you're like, what's going to take over? Oh, no. Don't worry. That fucking thing between your ears is crazy. Mm -hmm. right. And it's advanced. And you don't, we don't know what it does still. We really don't know what it does at all. Well, and it, it named it, it gave itself a nickname, the little motherfucker. And guess <laughs> what? You're not allowed to give yourself a nickname at all. But for some reason, this asshole is like, I'm going to name myself the brain. 
And I'm going to name everything else. Jesus didn't name Sparrow Sparrows. This motherfucker between your ears did. And wrap your head around that because when when you hear now Dallas talking about, I'm going to remove technology and I'm going to get real responses, that is crucial to one thing. Rewind two hours. Rewind two hours. We want people back in theaters. We want people Mm -hmm. experiencing and engaging. Oh, wait. So you're instead of leveraging technology and AI, which the brain created, now you're leveraging the brain Mm -hmm. for response and reaction, both in real time and when I'm watching. And that cannot be duplicated. It cannot be remade. There's no amount of green screen or AI that can do what you're going to accomplish and do. And I fucking love it. And that's the key though. So on the topic of the brain, let's talk about this one little fun thing that we've another affectionate name for it is the lizard brain, right? Yeah, to where third you're, eye. That it, it's that lizard brain that, 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 that for just a split second is like, this is real. Yeah. Even though it's not, but it's just enough to convince a moment yep to convince a moment so that reaction that you see on camera and on frame that i told that script to circle that take because that was what i wanted is you is it getting realer than that because if for a split second that actor thought that was real because the lizard brain took over and was like this is real that's actually a model that was yep. physically real, that was organic, that was shot, that now is projected on this big screen that I'm looking at out this window of this bigger version of the spacecraft that I'm looking at. Sure. This is real. What the fuck? You know, it is that 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 moment that you capture that then translates through the screen to the audience member that you feel. Yep. Because your brain knows as well. And all of a sudden, unlike you know, where you have to do a bunch of shit to program AI to make it work together. You're in a theater and instantly your brains are synced. Correct. And you don't even know what's happening. It it happens on a subconscious level to where, you know, you and that actor just connected, but you didn't even know it. Exactly. And because we don't understand the synapses going through that allow a fear connection to create a fear connection, to create a thriller response. Why do you create a motive thing? Why do you think you get like uh, certain certain movies or certain moments or certain things or certain music or certain whatever gives you chill bumps? That is a scientific response. That is an emotionally scientific response to something because something was something triggered it. We can't explain it necessarily. Okay, yeah, maybe you could say nostalgia. You could say it was just beautiful. It was sweeping. Okay, but go deeper. Go deep. Exactly. Let's go go deeper. Keep going. Yeah. Go deeper into that and understand that that triggered something on a subconscious level that speaks to you because in the moment that that experience was created, that energy existed there. When, you look, when I listen to certain recordings of certain music, uh, example, mind you, this is, another, this is a, one of the films on our slate mm-hmm. called A Defiant Heart. It's the story of uh, Dmitry Shostakovich. Where can composer. they find it? Somewhere they can find it. Come on. Nowhere yet because it ain't made yet. Oh. This, this thing is not going to be made for a few years. Okay. This, this is a passion project of mine that actually tells the story of Dmitry Shostakovich, a Russian composer who wrote his seventh symphony during the siege of Leningrad. 
and which was a very happy time much like our roaring 20s <laughs> in case you guys are wondering man <laughs> man the that fact because i know you're talking about the fact that that music was made any music was made during that time i have goosebumps by the way all over my body if there's goosebumps on my toes right now. the last the last five minutes of the film is going to be the last five minutes of the symphony period the finale and it's all that's going to happen. So you just imagery that happens. They performed it in Leningrad using soldiers, the played instruments, and who is left of the symphony. Dude, no, it, this is, you can't make this shit up. It's fucking Dude. unreal. But Humanity also the is amazing. But also the timing of when it happened, I think is, right. is, is crucial, right? Because it's not, they had it's not the roaring 20s, folks. I was no. making a joke. Right. They had speakers. They put them at the city so everyone could experience it. Some of these speakers face the German lines, so the Germans no. can experience it. And no. there are there are accounts that the Germans Crow. were brought to tears because of what they were doing. You know, so real quick on that line, and I bring this up because it might be an idea for you, right? With your music and what's going on. So a mutual friend of ours, uh, we got we got called into a meeting. And there was a, uh, there's a, I guess here in Austin, there's quite the opera symphony group that comes together. Mm -hmm. And COVID hits, I think it was just before COVID actually. And anyways, something was going on. They're like, oh, well, we can't bring everyone together right away, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's the composition of people here? Mm -hmm. All right, well, they're going to the opera. They like nice things. Okay, well, where are you guys at? And they're like, New York, Atlanta, Seattle. LA, Austin. I'm like, great. Get Old Foods to sponsor. They're like, okay, why? I'm like, because you are going to use it. <coughs> By the way, in case you guys are wondering, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of Whole Foods. In fact, I actually don't go to Whole Foods at all because of their sick work policy. And there's a couple other things. And I'm, I'm stringent on certain things. And I'm a little bit wackadoodle and crazy, but I love people. <laughs> but that's, I love you. let me tell you, Whole Foods has awesome Wi Fi. Everyone in that fucking place could be on Wi Fi. And you can still like watch a YouTube video, download a movie, listen to music, and get all your work done. The Wi-Fi at Whole Foods is the best. <laughs> Starbucks, take some fucking notes, right? It's just the best. So I was like, hey man, just get your opera singers and time it up perfectly and have them in all the different Whole Foods and have one start singing. Imagine you're in Austin. And you're walking through the Whole Foods and you see a person set up and they got the violin and an opera person. And those are the two there, right? Of this whole orchestra of people. But New York starts. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you hear three, you hear this, oh, you know, however that beautiful shit sounds. Mm -hmm. And I go, and then you're cruising through and you hear something else coming through the, like surround sound, right? Coming through the speakers. That's pretty easy to do. It's, that's just technology. You're not ever built, buy new speakers. Right. And then the local person starts singing. So now you have this inflection of local, but it's timed in perfectly with everyone else singing all over the country. And you're like, oh, and we're doing this traveling orchestra. And then it's just information in front of them of the traveling orchestra, of what we do, who we are, why it's important, mm -hmm. da, 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 the whole thing. Well, at the end of the day, they were just too chicken shit to call Whole Foods or didn't have a contact, whatever it was, and it never happened. And they wanted me to do it. And I was like, first of all, you motherfuckers aren't paying me. You asked me for a money. <laughs> right. Elijah has been kicking me under the table for the last hour saying, shut the fuck up. You've got to stop giving them ideas. They got to pay us. 
I'm like, you motherfuckers aren't going to do anything. I wanted you to do that. <laughs> and I looked at Elijah in front of everyone. Like, these, these motherfuckers aren't going to make a phone call. They're going to ask us to do what they want. They want everything for free. Who cares? And they're, they're right. artists. I'm not mad at artists. If, right. if their agents were in here, I would have lost my fucking mind. But they're just artists trying to do cool artist shit. Right. However, cool artists can walk into Whole Foods and make that happen. I walk in. And I'm not corporate, but I'm just an asshole. And they're like, well, this guy's going to, you know, he's going to make things hard for us. And if it's not perfect, he's going to yell at me. And artists don't yell at us. They just don't buy the butter. It's fine. <laughs> right. They're like, I'm not adding butter then. And you're like, well, okay. No, but, no, not the butter. <laughs> but, I, but I bring that up because I think it would be interesting, right? I wonder how... And I might have a contact, but I'm wondering how your film, what you're doing, sci-fi, thriller, everything, launch pads in Oklahoma, Texas, and California, and partner up with Tesla and show the premieres at their launch pads in between their rockets with military there the whole thing i'm just wondering you're like i've already thought of this jason elon's not returning my calls <laughs> uh, but i'm just i mean i'm thinking outside the way, but i'm like the, yeah, the, he's, he's, he's got the read text but he won't respond you know <laughs> he's like he's always <laughs> responding to joe it's like I, see this, I see this red he's read the text i mean he just won't respond to it i, I saw hey elon turn the read response off it'll make right. me feel better okay it'll be exactly. <laughs> But it's, I mean, because, you know, he's got the big push for space and Mars and living and everything. And I'm just wondering. I mean, no, no, okay, but hold on. Because okay, talk that to this me, is, But this is something that we're exploring with, with, the, with, this, with this project is we're not, it's not just a science fiction thriller. There are components. Okay, when you take the world of aliens, right? Yeah. It, it's created this whole atmosphere and this whole universe of colonization. And, and also, they don't components. understand space science very well, right? I mean, they're smoking in space, they're shooting shotguns in space. Like, they don't understand really. <laughs> right. Science has, has skipped a couple of generations. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. So, a little bit. So, with, uh, with what we're doing, we, we, we're, we're kind of asking certain questions like, okay, well, what if we are so long into the future that we've kind of successfully colonized in a very micro way, Proxima B? Right, but we can't live in the atmosphere, so we have to create our own atmosphere. Well, there's so many problems with that. So our ship, an R and D ship, you know, has to find ways to be able to, uh, you know, exist in deep space during its research and during its, you know, I can't give things away because sure. you know it's, it's it's fun and exciting. But uh, are you familiar with generative design? A little bit. Okay, so essentially the. the the, the, the Reader's Digest version of uh, generative design is, uh, for example, the chair that I'm sitting in right now, there's a lot of mass to this chair that's unnecessary for load bearing. Mm -hmm. So if I tell a 3D printer to design this chair, it's going to use the least amount of material necessary that can still accomplish the ability to bear the load. Sure. So you're going to have these weird, interesting, you know, uh, design. It's going to look weird, you know. Um, not unlike aliens, you know, when you see them kind of going into this thing, we see these weird, you know, kind of hive-like uh, designs. It's very much like that. It looks very 
uh, actually, if you were to use a, a biology book and look at uh, the way the human body underneath our skin looks, you know, we have tendons and you have all these different things stretching out and, you know, it's, it's using the least amount of mass possible to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. It, it's like that. Um, so we're exploring a lot of these elements, but, you know, how do you grow plants in this environment? How do you do this in this environment? How do you do this thing to survive, right? It's all about human survival. So we actually talked about what partnering up with uh, certain groups scientifically and, 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 and whether it's product placement or whatever, yeah, it, it accomplishes, you know, some means to get the film done, but it also gives exposure to these new ideas, these concepts, even if it's just background. To this to the story itself it's like well what, what is that because what do we do as sci-fi sci nerds you know we pick things apart you know it's like yeah neil degrasse oh. tyson's a prick he's ruined more <laughs> no and i I'm, I'm kidding i say that yeah. I mean, in, in the best way in the in best, best way. way right in the yeah best exactly way. Yeah. he's destroyed more science fiction films where i was like neil i mean i love you bro but now i can't watch that movie again and i the only ones he doesn't shit on are seems like the older ones. Like he doesn't shit on Star Wars or Alien or Aliens, right? But any because of the they because they because suspension of disbelief, they know what they're doing and they're yep. doing it on purpose, right? The Sandra Bullock one where she was floating around in space, he's like, that, that just yeah. can't happen, right? Hundred percent bullshit, right, right, right. So then here's my question. I mean, obviously this podcast doesn't have huge reach, but we got about you know twenty thousand downloads an episode now. We're doing a lot better. Who are the companies? Who who do we, you know, and you're going to remember this because I have no memory whatsoever, but who are, you know, you're going to message me and say, Jay, uh, here's the link to the, for the the group in case people want to donate or not donate, but be a part of my, my sure. film. And and here's this, but also then I know I'm going to, we're going to tag Elon and Tesla uh, and their rocket company, but who else? What, what are the, let's put it, let's put it out there in the, in the energy, in the atmosphere. Right. Who are or what are, for this film, the companies that are publicly available that would avail them to not only helping art, but at the same time giving them brand awareness mm -hmm. and, and also then just being part of cool shit. Like, right, I mean, I think there's three things that make that make a perfect circle for me. I, I live in the world of threes. Tell them, tell them you're going to tell no, three, three is everything. Three is everything. Three, three is a magic number. Yes. Exactly. Where, I agree. Yep. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I've been around military people. You were in the military. Threes are the way to go. Yep. It's just, yep. it's just one, two, here we go. And then we move, yep. right? It's just beginning, simple. middle, end. Yes. It's just, it's the way life works. People try to yep. confuse it. And they're like, well, what about the arc here? I'm like, stop fucking shit up. There's three. Threes. Threes. That's how it works. So in the world of threes, where are the companies, you know, knowing the structure of your threes and where they're at, and you don't have to tell us that structure, but instead it's like, who are the companies that if they gave you a call or reached out, you'd go, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to take that call. Well, absolutely. So I would, I would say very easily, it is companies like, uh, I mean, we are your Miller Lite. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But I would say, like you know, any, like anybody that's uh, so uh, a, a major. We've actually we've identified one right now. We haven't reached out yet because we're trying to get some of our you know ducks in a row still. But you know, hologram companies because holograms play a major role in this project, but not in the way you think. Um, but there's so much great technology that exists today. We're trying to explore what it would be like in the future, which is not so far from where things are. Uh, responsive AI in the sense of, uh, I like certain, we see it in sci-fi all, all the time, but uh, we, and I would say even, even uh, 3D printing and generative design, um, 
in, in our, the, some of the background of our story is, you know, uh, drones uh, in space okay. have actually so created robotics? the Demeter. Robotics. If, 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 yeah, to simplify that, robotics. Robotics, 100%. Uh, uh, biosphere technologies. Uh, anything that's dealing with biosphere technology, you know, like what, what uh, in, in a biosphere, like what, 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 what uh, biological science is going to that to sustain life, to sustain human life, you know, in, in space. Um, that's a huge component that, 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 that plays really big into our story. Um, because we've, you know, in our story, you know, Earth, ironically, We've left Earth, and because we left Earth, Earth started healing itself. But now we're on this other planet, fucking a lot of shit up, or and and, 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 and fucking ourselves up. So we have to explore like what's next. But in order to get there, how do we maintain humanity? So you know, being able to survive uh, through biosphere technology, uh, whether it's plant-based, you know, food-based. You know, uh, water-based. You know, how do how do we survive? How do we how do we create environments where we can survive in deep space? So companies that are exploring that, like Paragon, and, you know, things like that. Sure. So, any any any, any technology stuff. Where, you know, because the thing is, like, you know, there is a there is a always got to give Worley a little shout out. The little AI, little, you know, there's I mean, listen, yeah. He's built. You know, it's interesting. I want to I want to ask one more. I got one more military question for you. Well, the, well, the yeah. still going on that I want to ask because I. I, I, this is my thought process and it's not my original thought. I've heard this before, but so I heard this person say this and I think it was um, the art of the international, uh, fuck. it's like international hitman or something, right? Or economic hitman, the art of the economic hitman or something like that. Someone's going to okay. email me and the, a lot of people email me like, you got it wrong. I know I got it wrong. <laughs> hitman, international it's a book, you're gonna fucking love it. But anyways, uh, one of the things he said, he goes, we should not be as concerned as we are about China or Russia because they're communist countries. So they don't have the freedom of thought process that we have. So when mm -hmm. it comes to engagement and interaction, we can almost predict what they're gonna do because they're communists because they're so structured and we have, such, we have freedom of thought and idea. So we mm -hmm. break the rules a lot because we can, even though we're, in the rules of war, we can still break the rules because of who we are. And right. the real concern are the countries that have religion because they have freedom of thought because they have exposure to ideas that allow them to navigate and, and morally manipulate based on religion. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's no moral manipulation in China or Russia. There's not, it is what it is because there's no religion. And I, I wonder if you see the world the same way, or um, if it if it is just is a, a a unilateral concern, because at the end of the day, let's be honest, you watch any sci-fi movie, what's the one thing they don't have? Religion. What's the one thing they do have? Money. So, does money or free thought went out in this world, and then based on that. You also have to ask yourself, whereas people are concerned about this country dying, let's not forget, we are the pivotal piece for innovation on planet Earth right now. So 
does it or it, it like there's higher people, there's smarter people in the higher ups that have to be looking and going, can't really let America go because they do too much cool shit. So in our story, the way <laughs> these ideas factor yes. in. I, I've, folks, I know nothing and I'm, I'm shitting some balls. <laughs> <laughs> in our story, the way this factors in is, you know, we've, we've because, because and, 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 and if I'm going to go back to the beginning of this and, and talk about like, you have an idea that you want to put it in sequences, you also need to come up with a backstory. So that way your shit makes sense, um, you know, and, but, but the backstory needs to help you guide, help guide you, but not be reliant to where your audience needs to know the backstory. You know, it, 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 it's kind of like aliens in a way, because sure. like, we, we, we know what we need to know. I guarantee you Ridley Scott and James Cameron both, you know, in their own ways created certain parts of the backstories of the universe and all that kind of stuff to help guide them. You know, fuck, look at Avatar, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you dude. know. <laughs> so, I mean, it, 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 that's just got five more films coming. So, um, when you look at uh, creating these backstories, you know, what we did is we kind of created a practicality based on, you know, uh, where we've gone, what we've done, and, and just theorize, you know, what, what it would look like. And kind of what we've referenced is uh, the final war, right? Um, and it's not a nuclear war. It's not anything like this dystopian thing everyone starts talking about. And, you know, everyone, every other science fiction movie tries to do, but it, it's more of a war over resources. Uh, in a way, I guess you know, Interstellar kind of addresses that, right? Um, but it's a war more over resources. But the results of this global war, what we would call it the final war, is that these resources, you know, and the war itself, you know, you know brought a certain end to overpopulation by destruction um and the earth was really fucked up from it right but while all this is going on we've got there's a bunch of drones out in space creating this ship this research and development ship and also creating these other things while humanity is 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 now out and exploring uh colonizing other planets out of necessity so you have this whole movement now moving towards Proxima, you know, and, and, and the system there to try and figure that out. By this time, we've already dust up to Mars and we've already figured out certain components of this. We've learned a lot of lessons, so now we can go further. Um, and, but this R&D ship, which is meant to go out and, and figure out what's next for humanity is well beyond it, right? Um, the ironic thing is because humans left Earth to try and figure things out, Earth is kind of sort of healing itself, you know. Um, but what we wanted to do with the idea and setting this backstory is really highlight the error in uh, the human mindset of, you know, focusing so hard on rules and regulations and following these things. You just said it yourself. We break the rules. Yeah. Well, what happens when you break the rules? You end up evolving you end up uh, creating something new and different you, you new ideas right because you broke the rules sometimes evolution even of it itself is painful um and you had to break through the, the reason we named our company metamorphosis experiential is because you know it is not easy 
Metamorphosis yeah, well, is not an easy process. <laughs> it's really easy to spell. <laughs> Every time I look at my email, I'm like, did I spell it right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was creating uh, the, the email stuff and everything, I was like, all right, I, I think I don't, I think I fucking like quintuple check, checked it just to make sure that I didn't fuck it up. Like, like a tattoo. Like you <laughs> that, it's, it's a fucking tattoo. Like, right. Well, it yeah, exactly. It's like, if was it drinking? Did I have anything to drink? Am I okay? Did I spill it right? Did I get the right thousand place? You know, but uh, but metamorphosis in and of itself, you know, when you think about you know uh, a caterpillar going into this thing becoming just a, a mess, a mess of cells that make no goddamn sense, and then painfully coming through this the cocoon and becoming this beautiful creature. When you think about that process, you know that is a new idea coming to light. That is uh, humanity. Uh, uh, growing past the pain point because it's so structured in this one way of doing things. And, you know, so we wanted to explore the, the error in, you know, what we, what we just tend to kind of fall back on as humans mm -hmm. because it's safe, right? Because it's whatever, you know, and, and without, without giving anything away, you know, we have a character or two that, you know, explore, uh, taking those risks and, 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 and so it, through our thrilling science fiction, you know, mystery film, you know, we've been able to kind of address, you know, certain uh, feelings of, that we can relate to even today currently that do tie back to what you just said about, you know, this idea, ideology versus this ideology, right? So you're talking about a macro of what we've kind of created into a micro, again, something that's relatable, something that people kind of resonate with. And I understand that and what I can see what you're doing here. Sure. And, you know, you ask questions, you know, they're, they're, you know, at the end of this thing, you're not feeling like uh, you've watched just a mindless, you know, good versus bad. You know, you feel like, fuck, well, I guess I got to think on this for a second. I need to actually go back and watch this again now that I know uh, the twist, now that I know what's happened. I, I need to go back and watch this thing again to, to digest it in a different light. Absolutely. So the last question for you, um, you know, we're, we're at the... End of the film here, but I, I got I got one more. For, I got actually I got two more for you. Uh, but one mm -hmm. is um, obviously share your socials, what's going on, all that stuff, where people can find you, how people can be a part of the movie, what they can do. If there's a veterans group out there, how do they engage with you? What does that look like? So it's A, and then B is um, you're in Savannah, you're in this brand new place. Mm -hmm. You've left. Austin, which is loaded with great food and great breweries, 12 Fox being one of them. Mm -hmm. Where are you getting your good beer in Savannah, brother? Concerned <laughs> for you. Like, do I got to mail you some stuff out? Like, what do I got to do to take care of you, my man? Like, so what's first, going on? So, first off, uh, I will never say no to mailing 12 Fox beer because that is probably still the best beer in the country. God damn, it's so good. It is so good. <laughs> if I can figure out a way to get it to you cold, because. <laughs> You know, it's, it's just not pasteurized <laughs> that way. So it's, <laughs> right. I'm gonna go see Joe. It's Joe, right? Joe, Joe. Yep, yep. Joe and Eric. Yeah. I'm gonna yep. go see Joe. Uh, maybe <laughs> tomorrow or Thursday. I'll talk to him. See what we can and do. And you know, I know. Even, I see you even here, right, right now. Yep. Reverend, right Reverend. Right I'm gonna let him know. But go, Joe. By the way, numbers are right. I do some shout outs. <laughs> so I mean, whatever you want to do, Joe. If you want to mail him some beer, it'd be great. I'm just saying. Yep. Hundred percent. Hundred percent, Joe. Come on, son. But there, uh, yes, there are some good beer here. Uh, there's, okay. uh, there's uh, Moon River, 
which uh, Savannah is actually the home of uh, Johnny Mercer, uh, who wrote Moon River, which is a very popular song, very famous jazz writer, you know, jazz, uh, you know, singer. Um, so we're getting great beer there. Uh, we're getting great beer uh, at a place called uh, Service Brewing, which is better known, uh, better known nice. brewing company, and they have some really excellent beer as well. Um, so. Uh, but we've actually started gravitating a lot more towards cocktails because cocktails are a big Savannah thing. Um, yeah, they are. The so, South is big on cocktails. It really, is, but really I, weird. Got an amazing story though. Here's a okay, great story. Talk to me, Goose. All right, so there's this. Uh, you can see it if you've ever seen it. You know what? We're doing this again. We're going to do this again, uh, but for this time, I'm going to say right now we're doing Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. That's going to be the movie that we do. Next time, okay. because do they're fly in, out to Savannah. Like, hey, we go. Oh, to Savannah bro, oh, you yes. Okay, yes, we'll yes, do yes, it. Yes, we'll make we it happen. Actually, so the the movie's based on a book, and we actually did, where I'm sitting right here is where the author of that book was living when he wrote the book. Stop, Seriously. dude. That movie is that movie. That book is what it's so good because the the here's the one thing we talk about character development a lot, but midnight in the garden, midnight in the garden of the 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 nuanced characters yes in the lady simply lady simply in their rhetoric are so <laughs> overdeveloped in their one-liners they're so overdeveloped that you instantly know who they are because they're a, real they're real they're based on real people it's just it's so insane because I, you I, instantly know someone i can't it's the weirdest you. thing i cannot I love you. it experiences that we've had here in the short amount of time that we've lived here we're already a savannah staple and uh it, the characters that are here you can't make this shit up you can't make these people up and so we live in the same square where the uh, actual murder happened uh so we live in the same square of the johnny mercer house or the mercer oh. williams house rather um, and we actually, the carriage house that we're staying in, it's called the carriage house because during the 17 and 1800s, these were actually where they would park the carriages and the owners would stay up in the upper area. It's been converted into more of a house like thing. But the owners of it that we share the courtyard and, and they live in the big house, they were the ones who introduced John Barron, the author of that book, to all the characters that he wrote about. Um, really? He, he was here covering the trials and everything of uh, John, uh, Jim Williams. And, um, and we're here creating, you know what I mean? And so it's, there is some dude, I'm telling you, yes. So you have to come here when we do that episode and we'll do it live and we'll do it together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it you'll see the energy here is unlike anywhere, anywhere else, period. Like it is just, it is places unreal. Um, so the story is in the movie. They actually represent it in the movie because it's a Savannah staple. Um, you know, he goes to the Christmas party and he, uh, you know, he, he's about to leave and, you know, the guy's playing piano. By the way, we live Jones Street where that happened is literally um, on the other side of the house right there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we're on Jones Lane. Jones Street's just right there. So the house is like right over there um, where the party happened. But anyway, so he's, he's, he's like, oh, no, we've got to take a traveler with you. So and he takes a traveler, which is a thing here. You get an open container. You can drink anywhere, uh, walking you know, you get trash. We call them road sodas in Montana. Love it. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, here we call them travelers. Uh, so, much classier. I like the sound. The sound, <laughs> always makes it, the sound is like northerners with their road soda. You savages. <laughs> it's a traveler, son. It's a kind of pack. 
you know. <laughs> so they, uh, anyway, so it, it, it's like this Chatham Artillery Punch. So Chatham Artillery Punch. Why is it called Chatham Artillery Punch? Well, Chatham is Chatham County. It's the county that Savannah is seated in. And of the artillery, you know, the Chatham Artillery were a, uh, essentially the old, the old version of National Guard, you know, the farmers and all that kind of stuff, but they were also an artillery unit if they had to get called up during uh, the 1700s. Um, and uh, George Washington, as president, was making a visit to Savannah and gifting uh, the Chatham Artillery two guns for their service. Ooh. One was a French gun, one was a can't remember the other country's gun, but two cannons. They're, they're on the split on Bay Street. Um, and uh, so these farmers are like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to offer them something. So they, they, they just grab whatever they can, which is like liquor, 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 all this other shit. They're just mixing it all in. And they, uh, so they offer it to him. He got fucked up. Woke up the next morning with such a bad goddamn hangover. He's like, I'm never coming back to Savannah again. And didn't. <laughs> so we got George Washington fucked up. Now, fun story. We made Chatham Artillery Punch for Gianna's birthday. And oh, we so we had an act, we had a we had a traditional Savannah house party, you know, for her birthday. The neighbors came in, everybody walked over and like I'm I made the you know, I, I made the punch and everything, and I'm serving it and everything and doing a little you know cocktail thing and fucked everybody up. Yes. You know, yes. It was amazing. It was awesome. Like, John's falling out of her stool. We would run away to eat. And, like, in the next day, I'm getting people test like, I fucked up. What's the yeah. recipe? <laughs> Love it. Love so, it. So, you're going to have some Chatham Artillery Punch when you come. Okay. Here. I'm in. But, but, yeah. So, anyway, I say all that because Savannah is definitely, it, the history here is unreal. Like, I'm going to send you pictures of uh, a tavern. It's in the basement of the Pink House, which, you know, where Washington actually would, he drank beer and had meetings uh, during, like, the Revolution. There, the Tawny's Tavern is a place where revolutionaries in the colony of Georgia met during the Revolution. The Battle of Savannah was fought here, the second bloodiest battle in the Revolutionary War. Like, the history here is unreal, and it's largely untainted. Physically, you can see it everywhere. There's monuments, there's colonial graveyards, the colonial homes, and it, it is... Three wow. square miles of history, untouched and preserved, and you just you just cannot beat it. It is the largest historical district in the country, um, and there's nothing like it. Well, get the couch ready. Yo, uh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, you're, I'm you're, in. You're, you're coming. You're coming. So, so last thing here, uh, how can people find support if there's a veterans group out there and uh, they're interested? I got just got too close to the mic and it's like super loud mirrors, but no, you're fine. there's veteran so, groups out there and they're, they're interested, they want to engage, um, anything else, film producers, whomever it may be, how do they find you? How do they get you? How do they, how do they touch base with you? Well, I'm going to make this real simple. Um, you're going to spell more for What are you going to do? Are you going to come on? <laughs> I'm going to make this real call, simple. So, call Jason. He will, he will <laughs> he'll, he'll point you in your direction. Just bother him. He'll, 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 he'll guide you. I'm in. I'll, I'll support him. <laughs> you know brother. I will support him any way I can. So we don't get on social media much. We're actually in the process of trying to purge ourselves from it um, because of the toxicity. Because sure. we are going in a different direction. And we feel that uh, organic positivity is everything. Um, that's not to negate uh, the importance of connectivity through technology, 
but it is to try and get away from uh, the toxic uh, atmosphere that social media creates. So all that to say, the best way to reach us right now is going to be an email. This email is for everybody. Anybody can email it and you'll get a response. If you want to support veterans, if you want to support this film project, if you want to support, you know, what we're trying to build, you know, with, uh, you know, what we're trying to do in the entertainment industry, this one email address, you, know, you can reach us and inquire as much as you like, is experience at metamorphosisexp.com. Okay, and you're gonna you're gonna message that to me, and I'm gonna yep. put it in all the social channels. I'm gonna share it with everybody. I'll share it in the show notes as well. Don't worry about spelling it, folks. Just go to the show notes on the podcast. Um, you know, wherever you listen to your pod, wherever you listen to this, just go to the show notes and check that out. Uh, and as far as as far as our campaign, we are so that's another thing we can do is I'll also put the link to our campaign. It's not active yet, but uh, it will be active probably within the month. Um, okay. You know. Uh, in about four weeks or so, but uh, you can still access the page and there is a place where you can sign up for, uh, you can, you can, uh, you can go on there and say, you know what, I'm interested and I want to pledge this amount and you will get email updates. Um, and you can have the whole breakdown of, of the campaign, what we're doing. You can take a look at it and uh, click on the pledge link. So we'll provide that. Let's, as well. let's do this as well. So email me um, as well your last film and first film's name, I'm gonna put you in touch with Scott, my buddy who does the tactical six packs. And let's get you one for the house or the movie or whatever, right? So you can represent some good Savannah beers, but you're also representing some military as it's the old um, ammo cans turned into six pack. Yes, absolutely. Right? And we'll get it dialed out, decked out for you guys. So you've got a, a little piece of military, a little piece of POS, it just has your name on it and just kind of some fun stuff that you can yeah, do. Yeah, no, well. so let's, let's get that done as well. And Perfect. Then, and then Scott will share that on his social channels to let, you know, because he loves supporting veterans and all that stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll attack this for, for multiple fronts and, uh, and make this work. Um, let's do I, it. I, 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 I close with this now. I don't, I don't remember in our last pod if I close with this or not, but I, I do this a lot now where, you know, crack open a beer. It's gone. You can have another one. Go to the store, grab another one. It's super easy. Pretentious little cunts they call avocados. <laughs> Stop buying them, folks. They're never ripe. They're never ready, except for if you're in a Mexican restaurant, which is fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, guacamole. But there's there's the one thing we, we don't get back, and that's time. And uh, you create moments of time for people to celebrate and embrace and enjoy and I create moments of time. They're like a reverse ATM. And I just I kind of take them from you and enjoy the conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. But that said, we don't get that time back. And uh, I'm always honored, whether it's a friend or a stranger that wants to spend two hours talking with me about whatever pops into my brain or their brain is, is mind blowing to me. That's it's valuable. valuable. It's valuable. It's, it's mind blowing to me. And, and I, I, I cannot, I mean, you got a wife, you got, you, you've got a pro, you got projects, but you got, you got a lot going on your plate and to take this time to do this with me means, means so much to me. It really does. So. I love it, man. I love it. It's it's fun for me. It's, 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 it's a way for me to be able to, yes, I'm talking about what we're doing, but that's actually exciting, you know, because it, it, it being able to share 
with with your followers, with with everybody, what we're doing is exciting. But also being able to just conversate with you and just 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 back and forth, it's fun. That's why we're going to do it again, and you're going to be here. Yes, someday. I will be there. I will. We'll we'll plan. We'll map it out. We'll do it. One hundred percent. Oh yeah, 100%. we will do it. So with that said, my friend, I, I greatly appreciate the time. And now is uh, everyone else's favorite time when I stop talking. And, and they're sad because you've stopped talking, but they're happy because I've stopped talking. And now my daughter sings about the first time she took a shit by herself. And with that, folks, we are out. I love you all very much. Dallas, I thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And, thank uh, you. Man, I'm looking forward to this film and let's we'll get the links in for the other films and everything else and all the show notes and everything so that we can get people rocking and rolling but thanks brother i appreciate you man. cheers brother good talking to you again we'll do this yes sir